everyone. We are the Pioneer Perspective, and we are back this week to go over the Pioneer metagame. And like always, we are the official podcast of the MTG at home Discord server. If you want to annoy the hell out of your opponent by flicking your cards over and over again, right in front of them, you can do that with us too. Please don't do it that much, though. I really don't want you to do it that much. But Come on down to the link down below and join our Discord server. Play some paper magic with us. Annoy Alex, annoy Matt, annoy myself. And guys, you're here with me, Alex and Matt. Alex, how are you? Uh, sleep deprived, but fine otherwise. Matt, how about you? Also sleep deprived, but also otherwise fine. My name is Brad. I, for some reason, did not mention that at all last week, I realized. And I don't think anyone else here said my name. So. Yeah, hi, Brad. I am also sleep deprived. We all stayed up late. We're all really dumb. We decided to do a podcast early in the morning, and uh, we don't prepare. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I, I had the excuse if I stayed up too late looking at deck lists, like going over stuff, which could be either because I started my prep way too late, or because I was super enthusiastic and went on for longer. And I'm just gonna have the audience figure that one out. I stayed up too late by uh, trying to make Tashar combo work. And I stayed up too late by being woken up by Brad because he made Tashar combo work. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, this is why I my Discord that. notifications aren't on, because this type of thing goes on at like 5 in the morning for me when you send these messages. Oh, it wasn't that. No, because when I sent it, it was like 1 or 2. That would be 8 a.m. for you, or 7 a.m. That would that would oh that would have actually woken me up at the appropriate time. I wish you did that. Well, turn on your notifications, and I'll be a nice little alarm for you. <laughs> All right. So this week, normally this is where I kind of go to you guys, be like, "Hey, did you play any Pioneer this week?" But we actually all participated in a Pioneer showdown. I keep wanting to say showcase because it's the MTGO thing, but on the Discord server here at MTG at home. We have our weekly uh, tournaments for all the different formats. Uh, one of them we had this last Saturday was our Pioneer Showcase. So later on in the show, we'll kind of go over that, see how we did and what we played against and uh, our you know perspective on the format, at least in our own essentially local meta. Um, but Alex, we had some top decks go over the weekend. We had some challenges uh, Sunday and Saturday, some prelims last week. So. I'm just going to hand it off to you. How did we do this last week? All right. So uh, I had a good look at the decks, and I tried to make it a little bit more organized. So looking at most of the metas, uh, uh, most of the tournaments that were played and the Pioneer League dumps, uh, I've made a list which should probably cover like most of the decks you could like expect to see. This is leaving out like some really fringe or like one-offs that um, we're probably going to talk about later because some of these are sweet but I don't expect you'd run into them soon. So the top of the meta is still looking like uh, Niftalite, Monogreen, and Spirits. The Niftalite decks have pretty much all gone uh, to 80 cards now, which I suppose was at first Trump the Mirror, but if everybody does it in a mirror, you should also do it in a mirror. Um, I've seen a lot of cuts on Deathrite Shaman, definitely no four-offs anymore, uh, aside from that decks. Pretty, pretty much the same. I mean, they're always piles, so there's always going to be different cards. Uh, mono green, um, which to me looked very similar. Uh, Matt uh, said that he pointed out a lot of differences, so we're going to talk about that later. Uh, spirits 
and the main spirits lists are now seeing play are blue white or banned. Now we've got some runner-ups, which are decks that did well or are like really coming up. So this is like Wilderness Reclamation shells, uh, which are definitely creeping up. Look of Fires, which might already have established itself as a top deck. Uh, mono Black Aggro, which is mostly traditional black, um, uh, traditional Mono Black Aggro, but there are some changes. Uh, Blue White X Control variants. Think of Yorion Esper Control, Band Control, Straight Blue White, uh, Winoda decks. Winoda showed up a lot, uh, actually, and does Winoda things, mostly involving pirates that cost eight mana. Oh, I have some words about Winoda, but we'll get to that later. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go over these decks later. I'm just sort of giving a quick rundown so we kind of know what's going on. Then there's red based aggro, which is like 17,000 different deck lists. Um, Lotus combo still showing up. There is a Citadel combo ish sacrifice deck that we'll surely talk about, uh, about more later. And there's Sultai. And then there's a couple of decks that are like one or two lists. Think of Phoenix, Izzet and Soul, Auras, Boros Feather. Like, we know the decks. So pretty much everything that you knew seems to be playable and is seeing play. Yeah. Um, and let's see. If we look at the challenges over Saturday and Sunday, we had the challenge over on Saturday. Let's go over that first, I guess. Um, Team Wreck took it uh this is uh moving away from your simic build with torrential gear hulk and sublime epiphany uh and they're leaning more into the standard inspired build with expansion explosion um they're running four main deck mystical disputes which i know alex will want to vomit at the thought of that hooray (laughs) yeah and of course three uro um and you know just a lot of lands, just try to get there. Some Anger of the Gods, the main board, some Gross Spirals, obviously, center. So pretty straightforward, just a upgraded standard list, essentially. I didn't um, I didn't want to resolve my Nicol Bolas anyway, so no problem. No, you're not allowed. <laughs> you, you don't you don't get to play Magic in 2020 on Grixis. It doesn't matter if you have access to all the lands, doesn't matter what format you're in, unless it's Delve. Um or Grixis Delver. But uh yeah, you're you're bad. You're a bad deck. You deserve to not play Magic. And that's why we're running the Uncounterable Chandra. Yeah. And, th- and thanks for that not-so-casual shade, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, looking through the rest of the challenge, not a whole lot is different, except for the up-and-coming of one deck in particular, and that is the Jund Sacrifice list with Bola Citadel. Um. And before we get into that, I just want to go over into the other challenge. We look at over on the 16th, our old friend, well, maybe not that old, uh, Nivtolite. It was gone for like, you know, half a week. It's back again. Here we go. Topping a challenge. Uh, I will mention that in both of the tournaments, second place was Monogreen Walkers. Um, and this challenge on Sunday was also third place Monogreen Walkers. Um yeah, we see some Orzov, Auras, some Sultai Delirium, a lot of the same stuff. But again, we see a nice amount of this Jun Sacrifice deck. So let's look at that. This is the newest up-and-coming list. LSV actually played it in the recent challenge. He didn't do too great, uh, but he said the deck felt good and uh, he would consider cutting red altogether. Um, but... Let's look at this deck real quick. They are running 32 creatures, and they are running 4 Blister Pod, 2 Elvish Mystic, 4 Gilded Goose, 
two Lanor Elves, four Priest of the Forgotten Gods, four Zulaport Cutthroat, four Catacomb Sifter, Mayhem Devil as a playset, four Low Strider, and then we have our Collect Company full of Citadel playsets, and then just lands. And it just looks like the idea is to get full of Citadel onto the board and just win, right? That's how it kind of looks. I mean, I feel like last last week, I believe I mentioned already that there was a deck very similar to this, which was Golgari at the time, because it looked like a Shadow of Venestrat deck. Um, they they all seem to have gone into Junt now for Mayhem Devil. Uh, we talked about this before the cast. Uh, it's probably just to combat some more creature stuff going on. Uh, there's a lot of scrying in the deck. Uh, if you have a Catacomb Sifter on the field and you're sacking things to a Woe Strider, you get to scry twice, well, scry one twice, which is perfect to go with your bonus of Citadel. So there's a reasonable chance this sticks a Citadel, and if it has some life to work with, because there is only four Zulaport Cutthroat, there's no Cruel Celebrant or something like that, it's probably gonna kill you. Because don't forget that you can also make your opponent lose 10 with the Citadel once you have a lot of crap on the field. Oh yeah, it seems pretty easy to kind of get out of control. Um, I have, I'm actually going to put this screenshot in, it's actually not a screenshot because I'm a pleb and I took a picture of my phone on Moto, but I'm going to put that in the description of the amount of triggers that Cutthroat had when I played against this deck on Moto. It was heinous. It was just beautiful to look at and I just, I couldn't stop laughing just how many triggers there are, but hey, that's how the deck works and that's how they win. It took them it took them like 15 minutes uh, to go and through uh, go through their entire deck to kill me, but that's how the deck works. Um, as our mono green aficionado, Matt, uh, do you want to play against this deck? Are you afraid of it? I'm not afraid of it. It's not something I would choose to play against over something like Scissors, which can just be run over. But it's. I'm not afraid of it. I feel like this is a very close matchup. It's basically who's going to ramp into their into their win condition first. Is is it going to be me on the on the voracious hydra, or is it going to be them on the bolus citadel combo, which is scary? How does this interact with damping sphere? Because if you just stick a carny, you find a sphere. I think the whole like combo off plan just literally doesn't work. It doesn't tax right because it's you're paying life as the uh as the yeah but instead of the cmc so that makes me think that you have to then pay the tax on top of it one thing to note Hmm. about damping sphere in mono green with karn though is that damping sphere is a double-edged sword because it also shuts off your own mana production at least through nykthos it doesn't shut off nissa but it also shuts off nykthos so you're kind of screwing yourself oh yeah i would just bring in cage right instead yeah, Cage is uh, the much better option usually in a combo deck because you're not letting them play cards out of their library. Yeah, we don't care too much about their grave. That's not what this deck wants to do, but we definitely don't want them just going ham with uh, Bolas Citadel. I believe if you have Bolas Citadel and a Damping Sphere out, you then have to pay the life and then you have to actually spend mana on the Damping Sphere text. Interesting. So it would like it is a good way to shut off the combo, but I think an interesting thing to touch on um, is, which I can uh, attest to as my the resident Grixis player here, is that Grixis control has often had the upside where it could interact with artifacts at instant speed or mostly at instant speed in its main deck. So there's cards like a braid, 
Coligan's Command, Bedevil, at Sorcery Speed, there's Angraf's Rampage, which are kind of fine cards by themselves. Like, Bedevil is literally just a slightly harder to cast Hero's Downfall, but it has the extra mode to shatter a card. And what I've noticed uh, playing in Pioneer is that that has hardly mattered. Because there's not a ton of, like, now with Karn there's some more, like, have to kill artifacts around that are also not creatures. Like in Is It Scissors, you can shatter cards, but you can also just push a card. It doesn't really matter to have this artifact destruction. So I feel in that sense, this card, this deck might kind of exploit a weakness in that regard, where if they go just Citadel and I can immediately combo off, there is no Teferi bouncing it, there is no like sorcery speed shatter style effect that might or like a more universal effect maybe like uh like a universal destruction effect i can't think of one from the top of my head but this might be exploiting a little bit of a weakness in the format where it's instant speed artifact interaction is either hard to find or hasn't been relevant or at least isn't relevant in so many matchups that people are slacking on it like coligan's command is overall just not a very good card in this format like, not as good as it would be in modern. Yeah, because we're not modern, so we don't have as many artifacts just lying around and doing stuff. Um, we don't. Have... And also the shock is less relevant. Like, three mana to yeah. shock a card. Like, in modern, it's very easy to get, like, a, a, a reasonable two-for-one. And it's not just, like, shock your elf that's lying around whatever and make you discard a card. In modern, you're actually getting relevant cards. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's also the same reason we're not seeing like a braid be like a staple. Because I remember, um, and I guess this might as well be my uh, my catchphrase now, because I seem to do this every single week. If we look at the very beginning of the Pioneer format, um, when people were speculating when the format first was announced, you had all these lists on YouTube, these articles by Star City Games, Goldfish, you name it saying what are going to be the staples of Pioneer. And of course, the ones that you can predict pretty easily, and they are true today, like Fatal Push and Thoughtseize were on those lists. A lot of them had a braid because of how great a braid is in modern. It's just so flexible. It's a wonderful sideboard card. Um, But we haven't seen that come to fruition at all in Pioneer because artifacts just aren't that prevalent. And there are better cards to kind of, you know, get rid of the creature side of things that a braid is certainly good at and is flexible with, but you don't care about the artifact uh, portion. And we've also had just pretty good removal. Like, there's a lot of complaint that, like, oh, the removal on Pioneer isn't very good, but it kind of is. Like, sure, there's no Lightning Bolt, no Path to Exile, but in recent times, if you look at, like, red, we've got, like, Scorching Dragonfire, which is probably a card. If you main deck removal... Now, you would probably much rather have Scorching Dragonfire than you'd have a Braid. It deals with walkers, it exiles, so if you, you know, get the sad life where you have to throw two in an Uro, at least you exile it. Whereas, for example, in the standard format this was in, it was actually main deckable removal. So you could yeah. just run two or three in your main deck. In Pioneer, it's usually a sideboard card at best, so you still get to exploit your opponent in game one. Yeah, with and this it card. three, by the way, not two. It's three damage exile. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, I meant uh, three for the Dragonfire. Um, and, like, in Black decks, like in a Rakdos deck, I mean, we've been almost spoiled for options now, because we've got Eliminate, we've got Heartless Act, uh, Fatal Push, obviously, which also wasn't in that standard format. So a Braid has kind of just lost its 
Glory as a main deck card and is now kind of more of a sideboard one-two off staple. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't I don't disagree with you saying that we have a pretty you know nice uh, plethora of removal uh, spells. I think what the format is missing though is just solid counter spells. Um, that I also would... helps here, of course. You're you're trying to yeah. sneak in a six CMC card. Yeah, uh, I if we I think Pioneer. We don't need things like uh, like you know force negation and stuff like that. Obviously, we don't need stuff at that power level. But I think things like you know remand. I will pound the table over and over every week. Give us remand. Remand is fine in Pioneer. I think it's just perfectly okay, and uh, would be a, a staple. And I think that'd be cool. I'm not too sure about it, but that's probably a topic for another time. Because uh, I want to focus a bit more on this deck and how it's evolved. Um, especially putting the Coco in the shell. I believe in the original one there wasn't a Coco in. Obviously there's a lot of important three-mana pieces to hit, especially when going off. The main things that come to mind are, well, Woe Strider, Catacomb Sifter. Like, if you Coco into Woe Strider, Catacomb Sifter, and you're effectively immediately good to go to drop your Citadel and just go off. Because here you have this, like, scry two, three times per sacrifice. Uh, effect going on, and I believe Catacomb Sifter even comes with a body. Yeah, so the Woe Strider and the Sifter both come with a body. So you can already get four Scries in just from, like, having those two bodies to throw away. So you just end-step Collected Company, hit those two, it's like, alright, sure, untap Citadel, kill you. And then the other thing is just when Coco is just on top of your deck with Citadel, you just go ahead and just Coco for four life. And then you hit like a cutthroat and then like a bow strider or something, and then you just continue to go off. Um, that's one thing that I am afraid of in this deck is that you don't have as because I haven't played this deck, actually haven't seen it. So most of it, what I'm trying to figure out is mostly theory crafting from my part. Is how often are you just gonna run out of life? Because the mana base is fairly painful, there's 11 shocks. And there's three pain lands and only a 20 land mana base, so most of your lands in your deck will hurt you. Uh, your opponent's obviously also trying to kill you because it's magic after all. And there's only Zillapor Cutthroat. So you're going into red just for the Mayhem Devil, and we've already talked about, uh, about this a little bit before. But if you want to focus more into the combo part, this might also be a direction the deck might want to go. I'm not sure. But the only red card is Mayhem Devil. Now, I can imagine you might want to swap that out at one point and make the only white card be Cruel Celebrant. And now you have two ways to gain life, which sets you up more to, like, combo off when your life total is a bit more under pressure. Yeah, that's definitely... And it might also give you white sideboard cards. And white just has better sideboard cards than red overall, I think. Like, cards like Rest in Peace are just unmatched in whatever the hell... a, A braid, I guess. A braid would be great in a mirror. Yeah, we don't seem to have too many uh, red cyborg cards in this deck. I'm just seeing two Gruel Charm here. Another list is also just running uh, Gruel Charm. Another list is just not running any red cards on the side. So Yeah, that's a list. So there's even an extent like, is this deck so much better with red that you can't just play a cleaner mana base and just go straight Golgari? And then it comes down to the meta, right? If, if we're yeah. in a creature meta, uh, where you want Mayhem Devil to ping a bunch of stuff to get it out of the way. Because the worry that you're having, Alex, in which 
you know, you might run out of steam or even just kill yourself. Um, imagine, I imagine if you're going into like a creature deck or something like spirits, um, or anything that can kill you pretty easily and you get mayhem oh, yeah. level down and you just be able to pick off their stuff and then go past turn and then you're safe to go ahead and combo the next turn. Yeah, De Devil is great against spirits. I forgot about that one. It would be fantastic against spirits because normally you can't interact with that deck at all. Well, you've got right. Priest of Forgotten Gods, but... And Mayhem Devil seems pretty good against Mono Green, actually, because oh, you have a decent amount of creatures, right? And it hits Planeswalkers, too. It's any target. Priest does turbo you into your Citadel, which I forgot about, which is That's actually true. pretty cool. You can go for a turn four Citadel. I I'd have to watch this deck. There there's a reasonable chance I'm going to um, proxy this deck up and have a few goes at it, because it looks sweet. Yeah, you like, already It looks like a blast to play. Yeah, you play Rally and you like that, so I'd imagine this would be right up your alley. It just instead of uh, filling the yard, it's just uh... it's just creature decks where I don't actually have to go to combat because I only play control, so I suck at combat. So I love creature decks where I don't even have to go to combat. It's or like you're or like elves in modern, <laughs> like yeah, true, like elves in modern where I just activate Izuri three times. It's like I don't know seventy trample damage. I guess it's enough. Yeah, for someone who's not a big fan of creature combat, I might be playing the wrong format, but I like everything else going on. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the biggest draw to uh, to Pioneer. Um, is it even fair to call this a Jun deck? No. It's kind of a Golgari deck, which is yeah. Mayhem Devil's just visiting. Because, like, how often do you hardcast Mayhem Devil? I mean... I hope not too often, because there's only seven red sources. I guess you can goose into it. Oh yeah. By the way, in case in case people know, I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure most people listening to this podcast will know. But the strange two Elvish Mystic two Lanoir Elf split is for Legion's End. So if you run Legion's End and there's two you have two Lanoir Elves in play, they're gonna get both. And if you have a Lanoir Elf and an Elvish Mystic in play, they actually end up only getting one of them because they obviously have different names, even though they're effectively the same card. See, that's because you're a Grixis player and that you actually remember that card. I think that's a great <laughs> card. I forgot ex it exists. Legion's End is great. Like it's uh, in my maybe board, and pretty much every time the meta changes, I'm like, is Legion's End just really good right now? Like, if is it Scissors comes up again as a deck, like I am for sure backing Legion's Ends in my sideboard. Yeah. Especially, yeah. I believe even when it works, when you cast it on a Nissa Forest and they have Forest in hand, it actually takes all their forests from their hand. It does. That happened to me. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> later, we'll get to this later. But I was playing a Scissors deck that did that exact same thing to me. Wait, because it's because end? I mean, there's been Grixis uh, and Souls decks too. I've seen Grixis and Soul. Someone's as crazy as me and just wants to play that three color combination so bad that they just splash a color they don't need. I may, I may also be remembering it may not have been scissors, but it was definitely scissor like. And yes, that happened to me over the weekend, and I lost all of my forests and had to figure out very quickly how I was going to win the game. It, uh, by the way, for for a case of honor, it doesn't take the unanimated forests on the field. It just takes all your animated forests 
and then if there are any forests in your hand. It isn't. It doesn't actually strip the ones off the field that aren't creatures. So don't think you're about to one-sided Armageddon your opponent with Legion's End. That's not how it works. Yeah, but for anyone listening, and you're a scissor player, and you love Is It Scissors, and you're considering splashing black, I'm telling you right now. Do so. Thoughtseize no, is a great card. don't. That is atrocious. You're better off going to Jeskai than you are going into Grixis. Hell no. No, you you get all that glitters at that point if you're in Jeskai at least. And you're trying to smash face. You don't want to interact. You interact with what? What's the one mana counterspell? Of course, you you push their blocker. You're a 5-5 indestructible. You don't care. (laughs) You don't care about your blocker. Unless they have a Ronus or a Hazard on board, you do not care. You're just smashing face. For the love of God, do not play Grixis. Probably, period. <laughs> do play Grixis, it's great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the deck looks... It's approaching stock. The only thing I've seen alter or change with this deck is I've seen a few pro players... Now, this is on Twitter. Um, some of them are just straight up cutting Buster Pod for more elves, more ramp. I could see uh, that. So that outside of that, though, because um, Blister Pod makes it easier to go through your deck. Like once you've got like the Citadel and stuff going on, because it gives you like two creatures to sack. Yeah. But maybe you just maybe you just don't need that. Like maybe the deck is just so smooth that it's actually fine that you don't need that double sack sometimes. You know, you mentioned possibly going into white. You know what card I just thought of as an interesting sideboard card? Uh, well, if you go into white, Tithe Taker. It taxes your opponent, so they it's hard to interact uh, on your turn, and then that's a two drop it, though. Yeah, but it still is something that can fall out, and then it uh, leaves a body. I mean, if you're going into white, I would definitely consider running it. But, but I could um, I could see the benefit of being into red, especially if people now start running cards like Gruel Charm, which I don't exactly know why people run it. Is it to just steal your card back when Yorion Jeskai Yorion steals it? I gotta read it real quick, because I'm gonna be honest. I have no idea what it does. Uh, Choose one. Creatures without flying cannot block this turn, or gain control of all permanents you you own, or Gruul Charm deals three damage to each creature with flying. That's for Oh, each creature with flying. Oh, I thought it was two. Yeah, I thought it was three damage to a creature with flying. But it's each. each. Yeah, this is spirits. That's pretty good against spirits. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, you don't care about the first two modes, right? Well, I could say on, like, gain control well, the... of a permanent you own. That's why I'm thinking, like, maybe you go up against Yorion and they steal your Citadel, and you're like, yes, I'd like to have that right back, please. Yeah. Well, I mean, are we seeing Agent of Treachery in the Yukon? Yukon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mo- most, most of the Jeskai uh, Fires decks do actually run the Agent of Treachery Luka stuff. Okay, because I know we were seeing them, like, do, like, some splitting and, like, going off into different directions as far as the big creatures. Like, and obviously how league lists are published, there is a reasonable chance that there are more uh, non-Luka lists than are published, but from what I've seen being published, it's almost all Luka. Yeah. Agent of Treachery may not be the most like super busted powerful card in existence. It's super, super strong, but it is certainly the most feel-bad card to cheat out. Like, whenever someone cheats out an agent of treachery against me, I just get sad. I don't get upset. I'm not like, man, this card is garbage. I hate, like, I, I'm just like, you, you got my stuff. You're going to have it my again. card. 
it's even worse when they're doing some Thassa jank or they, the Thassa <laughs> from Theros Beyond Death, where it's just like, cheat it out, blink it, blink it again. It's like, okay, cool, cool. Take all my lands. I don't want to play Magic anyway. I just have it all. Um, See, because yeah. then they can steal my lands and then they can resolve Grixis spells. They know what they're doing. No, 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 they're not. They're not doing that. They're not stealing your cards either. They're not playing. Actually, do you play Thief of Sanity in your sideboard at all? Uh, no, because I hate the card Mystical Dispute. I, I've seen it uh, being played. Yeah. It, it's reasonable. I actually thought the card was super overrated when people started playing it in Standard. Mostly because a lot of the cards you hit with your opponent's decks are card that's, cards that like you don't want. And I think the rest hits the graveyard too. So it's like, cool, I can either take your Uro and never cast it because I don't want it to go to your yard, or I can pick something else and then Uro goes to your yard. I, th I think you... I can imagine... I've seen actually blue-black mid-range lists coming up that are running Thief of Sanity. And I think in like a mid-rangey lower to the ground shell i think it's good but it's not the card like it was in control mirrors when it was just in standard where you would just board it in and you'd slam it on turn three and if your opponent didn't have an answer you'd win the game like it's i it... i wish i could play esper hero again you could technically play it in, in pioneer but like i played four main deck Thief of sandys esper hero was so much fun probably one of my if not my favorite standard deck i've ever played. very skill intensive deck too like, it would be a cool deck, like to deck to see. Like in, it, it would be cool to see in Pioneer. And I'll tell you right now, if Hero was viable in Pioneer, I'd be playing that over something like Spirits any day. So, and, and maybe a good thing to talk about too, because Spirits, because I, when I mentioned like the list of decks, uh, people who were like, uh, very uh, keen probably heard that I mentioned Spirits twice. And that's because I consider Band and Blue-White Spirits to be fairly similar in their style like Band is a bit more of the aggro deck where Blue-White is more of the tempo deck but we've also seen Band with Lofty Denial etc but then Simic Spirits is just kind of an entirely different deck and it plays a lot like the mono blue tempo deck from Standard from like when Ixalan was in the set and we had like uh, Lookout's Dispersal those type of cards, Curious Obsession which is obviously the main card in the deck uh, I made, once again, the incorrect call that this deck would not be good enough, mostly because you just instantly lose to Supreme Verdict, because all you can do is counter cards. And then, the card uh, Brad mentioned earlier, I completely forgot that Heroic Intervention is a card, which is yep. already pretty good against blue-white or control decks in general, and it does actually counter air quotes, which you can't see because we use webcam, but it's not it's an audio podcast. Um, Supreme Verdict. And if you want to see a cool display of that, you can watch Versus Life from Star City Games. It's a very short-lived uh, display of it. but it, it, Yeah, it that happens. was a very short-lived dream, but it looked cool. Oh, yeah. And then he uh, played a second Supreme Verdict, and then he didn't have another heroic intervention. But yeah, hey. You can't always have it. Yeah, can't have it all. If you're drawing three cards a turn, you expect to always have it, but he didn't. Um, but outside of Spirits... We know that's going to be a top deck, whether you're playing the three versions. Uh, we did see randomly in a 5-0 dump on the very first week of After the Bands, there was a um, uh, it was a Jess guy. Uh, Just for Bone Crusher Giant, right? And, and line up the stage. 
It was so funny looking. We haven't seen that list uh, since. Yeah, this so this, this is exactly why I say the things from the five O. It shows up once. I didn't mention this being an actual meta deck because I don't yeah. think Jeskai Spirits is quite there. But um, um, looking at uh, the other up and coming list, we talked about the Bull Citadel pseudo sort of Jund list. That's really Golgari. The other one is the Reclamation Shells, and uh, I think. And we talked about this in the first week when we were going over our picks for decks coming up. My pick was Reclamation. I am still surprised that it's not as prevalent as uh, I would have thought it would be. But we're seeing it pop up. It won a challenge. It went to the teamer side. And uh, is there anything that you guys think is, uh, like, what do you think is the better build? Is it the Simic build that goes, like, Gear Hulk and Disappoint Epiphany? Is it the More Lands Expansion Explosion build? Is there something else that we're not thinking about in terms of how we can go about it? There was a Bant list that we saw a couple yeah, years ago. Yeah, Bant Control with Wilderness Recognition. I love that because it really... Uh, it just had things like Castle Ventress. I think the only X spell that was Sphinx's Rev. But it was just a control deck that really just tried to squeeze in some value with Reclamation and not like go super over the top. But overall, I would say that I'm a little bit more of a fan of the Teamer shell, I think, because it's a little bit more all-in. I think Expansion Explosion is a very good way to win the game. Uh, also, obviously, they're for not vulnerable to creature removal. Granted, if you play five Gearhawks, your opponent probably doesn't have enough removal. But I felt like the Simic version is a little bit like... It relies a little bit on the meme. The Sublime Epiphany, Gearhawk stuff where i feel like this is kind of just more consistent in the right matchup which is oh i have two reclamations out of right float 30 mana boom you're dead yeah and one thing i did find that was a little awkward was um because i've been playing the simic one in paper and on moto and i actually recently altered the simic to go into the team route not necessarily how the uh, list was on the challenge um of not main decking for mystical dispute for example um, but I kept the two grand, two torrential gear hulk, three sublime epiphany in the shell, and I just went up to twenty eight lands and brought in the ex- main deck expansion explosions. And I feel like the deck is doing a lot better, splashing red in that instance. But the awkward bit is when you don't have the six mana available, um, even if you have wreck on board, it's not the worst thing in the world. But it does feel kind of bad when I have to float mana in my end step and I'm desperately just trying to stay in the game so i cast sublime epiphany for just bounce something draw a card basically and maybe sometimes i can copy a creature if i luckily made a shark earlier or something um but having to you know play with your mana a bit uh on the end step kind of sucks for that when i'm not getting the full value which is where i can kind of see the uh you know let the meme die kind of aspect and go straight into full teamer but i i love that combo so much I will not let it die. And when it goes off, it's it's wonderful. And Expansion Explosion is just, I think, what the deck needs to kind of be a bit more grindy because, you know, sometimes you're just like, hey, I need to draw some cards. But same thing with the Bant one, though. I think the Sphinx's Rev is actually interesting because I was always saying that that card's horrible in Pioneer. I thought it was just a really, really, really bad card. It's too slow. It doesn't do enough. You draw some cards, gain life. Cool. Especially in the combo meta. But now with, you know, aggro being a bit more prevalent in these things, um, you know, if you're not in the over-the-top kind of portion of the decks, 
the gaining life is pretty important. Being able to play with the reclamation mana is, well, uh, is great. I think it's also because reclamation just makes the numbers crazy. Yeah, right? If you Sphinx is rev in a normal game and you like rev for five, it's like, okay, cool. If you rev for like 13, I mean, at one point, you're not even bothered by the cards anymore. You're just paying more into the X because you want more life in some matchups. Like, li they always say life gain's not good. Like, straight up life gain. I mean, this also draws cards, but like, life gain is not like generally very powerful. Except when the numbers are ridiculous. Like, also how Uro, like, over a game can get you, like, 12, 15, 18 life. Like, at that point, it does actually become relevant. Like, holy shit, that's actually a lot of increase in your life total. Yeah, it's the same reason we don't see... Um, what's the one from Ixalan? Um, Sanguine something? Oh, the one that gains you twice X life? Yeah. Yeah, because um, that just gains you life. Like, you do always have to do something else. Sanguine it's going to be a long time before. That's what yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, we're, we don't see that played. But um, but yeah, Sphinx's Rev does enough in both matchups, whether it's the... If you're going against the over-the-top grindy matchups like Niv to Light and other Reclamation Shells um, and just like the Luka, Jeskai Fires, for example, where they all have that similar kind of payoff to where they're all trying to just stay alive early game and then go into this big payoff, whether it's a Niv digging 10 cards into your library, grabbing three cards, whether it's a Wilderness Reclamation creating all this mana and just saying, I have all the value now, or it's a Fire sitting the board and dropping Planeswalker to Planeswalker or a Luka going to Agent of Treachery and just controlling the game that way. You want to be able to keep up with them, so the Bant Shell can do that by just saying, I'm going to draw cards too. Cool. Niv player, you got three cards. I got eight. Let's keep going. Um, yeah, and then, and then the other side of the life gain, like you said, Alex is great in the matchups where that matters. Like you're, I mean, it, it makes it, it makes it relevant because obviously the thing that's gonna eventually happen, like if the meta keeps going like this and people aren't trying, are like people aren't figuring out like the best aggro shells, um, cards are just going to like decks are just gonna go bigger, 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 and then aggro goes underneath, but. Sphinx's Rev is kind of like a nice pad where like you're going bigger just like everyone else but because the life gain is stable on it you're a little less sensitive to this these aggro decks going underneath. Yeah. So it kind of makes you work both ways which is actually quite powerful. No. So that band shell wasn't played a lot. Most blue most band control shells aren't actually reclamation shells. It's just blue white control with Uro, Grove Spiral, and sometimes some sideboard cards. That's the most common bench shells. Yeah, that seems about right. And I mean, I, I think, think band strong. I think another thing to mention when we talk about like the less sort of top tier style deck uh, that's coming up with Luca Fires is if people aren't familiar with the deck and they might have a look at the mana base, they'd be very surprised to find the Teamer Triome in there. Uh, that's obviously. Uh, like, in essence, that's because there is no uh, is it cycling land. But you do want the extra mountain for your chain to the rocks. And cycling is never bad when you've got a fires in play, because you don't need your mana. Exactly. You want Which I believe Corey Baumeister popular, uh, popularized. That's where I first heard about it. I don't know if he was the first to do it. But he, like said, it. he said the deck was really good. And then he went to do the challenge, and I believe ended ninth on tiebreakers. So, proved his point. Deck's good. 
And it's seeing yeah. a lot of play now. More and more play. Cheating out a... Uh, any Cheating on mana. Who figured yeah. it was good? Like, it's kind of funny, right? How we have the three top decks, and then the two decks that can double their mana suddenly come up like, yo, guys, doubling your mana is really good. Like, oh, yeah. Because that's what yeah. both cards effectively do. They try and double your mana. Any more from, like, the the normal decks? The quote-unquote normal decks before we go into the spice that you want to talk about, Brad? Yeah, so I kind of want to go into and look at some of the aggro decks that we're seeing kind of pop up and almost have a almost a re resurgence into the uh, format. And those are the kind of decks that we've seen exist before. Um, we're looking at things like Orzhov Auras, uh, Gruul Aggro, not the Possibility Storm necessarily, but the traditional Gruul, Gruul Aggro with like Coco and things like that. Um, obviously, we see Burn Back, but then there's Ensil Artifact, and even people are trying to go through uh, Is It Phoenix again? And the interesting thing about seeing these decks, and even Boris Feather, actually, uh, now that I can think about it, um, but the interesting thing about these decks is are they the kind of decks that can come back and exist in this metagame that seems to be dominant with mid-range style decks and just more make sure I hold you off in the beginning, get to my payoff, and go from there? Uh, like, are these the kind of decks that can seemingly do that? Um, and, you know, most of these lists, lists are pretty uh, pretty stock, but looking at a few of them, like Is a Phoenix and uh, then the 30 variations of Mono Red, um, we don't really seem to know what we're doing. The only ones that are seemingly figured out are Artifact, or Ensel Artifact, Boros Feather, and Auras. Are any of these decks, do you think, are they good enough to get underneath Niv or uh, Reclamation or the Jeskai Fires list or any of the Fires lists for that matter? I mean, oh, overall, it's like there are actually so many different variations on fast decks that it's almost inevitable that some of them will be. And it might just be a matter of figuring out like what which of these decks are actually good. And that's also a good sign. Because if there are so many different aggro decks that are possible, then there's a reasonable chance that if one or two weeks down the line, one will actually be like Toon and we find the right list, and then that will potentially break open a meta, right? Because if someone finds a good aggro deck to go underneath these decks and we figure out which is the main one people that should be playing, it might shake up the meta. Which does lead me to the point where like, I feel like the ones that are mostly figured out are clearly well, clearly, but are probably not good enough. So, like, Boros Feather, I don't think there's much you can do to change the deck significantly. So if that deck's not putting up results now, I don't know if it will in the future. But something like Ors of Auras has kind of a similar thing going on, but that deck's actually been putting up pretty reasonable results because it's just so damn fast. And I feel like all these decks are going to have to be super fast. Yeah, I look at Orzhov Auras, and I actually have the deck in paper, and I know you've mentioned you have pretty much all the pieces in paper, Alex. Have you actually yes. piloted Orzhov Auras at all much? I've done it a couple of times, uh, especially before I bought it. I think I played it on, like, X-Mage or something, or Untap or one of those programs. And a fair bit after I bought it. I mean, the deck has speed. Yeah. Um. So, especially with a card like Griff's Boon that, like, allows you to go over Sylvan Carrioted, like, the, the deck can have super quick kills. And 
that is always a good thing. Uh, it might be a little too soft to interaction because we do see that there's control decks being played. I think if you uh, add up, if I go to Goldfish and I add up Esper Control and Azorius Control in the last seven days, it's actually played just as much as Niftalite. So mm-hmm. if you're a deck like, yeah, I could super like home in on Niftalite, but you're just going to lose to a lot of aggro decks. And I think it's mono red or mono black matchup is probably not that good either with cards like Fatal Push, uh, Wild Slash that can hit your card. You're, you're going to have the classic auras problem with this deck yeah you seem pretty reliant in a lot of matchups on having your uh what's the uh, card uh Karametra's, uh blessing um the protection spell that they have mm-hmm. basically your blossoming defense of the deck and that's essentially their biggest protection spell and then you have um the uh Alcid of life's bounty yes um i couldn't think of the first word of that card but um yeah, that's a good one too, but that one requires, you know, at least the turn it comes in. If you're trying to leave it up as a protection, you gotta have two mana. Um, which for a deck that runs typically 19 lands, it's uh it's not that consistently trying to get there. But I mean that deck just wants to get the three lands so it can comfortably try and play Allurus and then leave up mana after that. But that that's tough in the black matchup. But if you just have the protection spell on the flip side of it you hose out your opponent, even if they are in uh, in, in black, right? Cause... Oh, yeah, there have been played where they go like Hateful Eidolon, Ethereal Armor it, Protect it with Karamatra's Blessing, Untap, Ethereal Armor, Griff's Boon, you're dead, right? Yeah. Something along those lines. So it, it punishes stumbles. So potentially even when these slower decks would like try and go even bigger, that might actually make them a little clunkier, and then you can go underneath. But I feel like we've sort of reached maximum clunk, right, with Niftalite, because they're now being like fine-tuned. Some people have realized like, hey, maybe we're doing a little too crazy and they're lowering the curve a little bit. Yeah. And as I look through these lists and these decks, um, maybe Feather doesn't seem to be quite fast enough. It, I mean, they're adding in, looks like Soulscar Mage, uh, as a little extra uh, prowess creature. I've seen a few lists as a two of. Actually, more than a few. That seems almost stock at this point. Um, but yeah, it just seems a hair too slow. I mean, you can obviously get to a pretty fast start if you get your um, your Swiss Spear down, your Soul Scar Mage, your um, your Hoplites, the same thing with the Auras, obviously. And then what's the uh, the, the two drop? Um, Legion's uh, 10th District Legionnaire, that one. I forgot um, which legion, which district it was. The fifth district, sixth district. <laughs> yeah, and then like, it's weird because the Ravnica cards just have a few things like that. There's tenth district legionnaire. There's hero of precinct one. Um, yeah, they're all they're, they're all regions of Ravnica. It's just I don't know the map of Africa from the top of my head. How do you navigate uh, Ravnica? Do you just go like, oh, you go tenth uh, off a of tenth and one, tenth district uh, I, in, uh, in one I, precinct. I, I, I believe the precinct are like the places that have like sort of decided not to side with the guilds, which is also why the card Hero of Precinct One is uh, mono white, but it doesn't yeah. benefit of multicolored cards. So hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the flavor is that it grabs whatever ally it wants, so it doesn't matter what multicolor it is. But most citizens of Ravnica will probably be multicolored. Um, oh, that makes sense. Anyway, I think the idea behind Feather 
is that it's it can be fast, but especially because of Reckless Rage, it just is really good against other aggro decks. So Definitely. that's where you kind of get this cycle going on, where like you want the aggro decks to go under the big decks, but then Feather is there to not necessarily push, punish the big decks, but to actually punish the aggro decks. And, I mean, that's where you get an interesting meta. So the fact that all these decks seem to be performing might lead to, like, a modern-esque, but probably in, like, a faster way because the decks are, like, less different. But modern has this going on, too, where the meta just cycles at all times, where elves can be good now, and it's bad three months later, and it's great again three months after that. And maybe this signals that we're heading in a similar direction, which would be great because it's probably the coolest thing about modern. Yeah, and that would definitely be a great thing for the Pioneer format. I, Like I said a couple weeks ago when we first talked about the bannings and everything and how the meta could shake up, my initial fear was a lack of a combo deck um, helping be one of those four pillars. And we head into this mid-range Dirtlefest type format where it's just like, hey, it's that kind of game over and over and over again and that's where all the top decks are and we kind of get stuck in this stagnant meta because again the reason people were so sick and they and, and hated combo decks like inverter in breach were because it was the same decks over and over again you go hop into a league on moto and it's like okay cool inverter three times breach in a mono white deck that's fun and i was just afraid of there being this mid-range problem with the same idea but hopefully, to your point, we head into the same direction as modern and we get these aggro decks to be good enough to where we can have this cycle through. And I one mean, deck... We've got I the think, tools. Yeah, seemingly. Um, and I know, we, I know I didn't mention this as one of the up-and-coming decks because I think this deck has always been a possibility. Is uh, and we've discussed this before as well, being a good matchup or potentially good matchup against uh, Nibtolite is that dredgeless dredge list. So that's always a great thing as well. I mean, that that deck's potentially pretty good against aggro too, right? Yeah, like it just um, has so many weird blockers and random life gain through Uro and milling yourself with um, what's it called? Creeping chill. Yes, creeping chill. Yeah. Uh, Matt, tell me what you think about um, any of these aggro decks and how you feel that they're kind of shaping up in the metagame. I think mono black aggro is probably the strongest one right now that we have. The mono red just seems too all over the place to really be considered a serious deck at this point. Maybe that'll fix itself in the next few weeks. I hope it does because mono, mono red is just sort of always fun to play against, always fun to play. But I think it's got to be, for now, mono black is where we're at. Feathers just seems too slow for a lot of the decks that we're seeing right now. I mean, it can be fast, but they kind of have to get lucky to get fast enough. And yeah, I would just say that all of these decks are really cool, and we'll see how they do. But Mono Black, if we're looking at aggro, is what I think it's going to be. Yeah, I, th I, I would agree with that because it's sort of like a baseline. Like Mono Black has been a very well-established deck. So what I'm saying, like, like these Mono Red decks have to sort of figure themselves out where Mono Black is most definitely figured out, where Mono Red has a lot of avenues to go down. So we've got, like, the, the Tor Branner out, and they probably run, like, one or two Hazards too. Then there's just the Burn route, which is super low to the ground, and it's not necessarily even the Luris one, but I've seen Mono Red Burn, and you get to run cards like Ramunap Ruins. Um, 
obviously the Ember Cleave route also exists, which is definitely the one that is maybe a bit more vulnerable to interaction, but fantastic when your opponent doesn't, because you could just Ember Cleave like a Rebel Master on turn four and just completely destroy people. One route for red that might be interesting to explore, but I guess it would have shown now up if it didn't, but especially if you go like the super low to the ground, just one and two drops, burn spells, maybe like a Flame of Keld list could show up. You do get Host by Narset, which is being played by uh, things like Yorion Fires, but that might be an interesting route to go down to with Mono Red. So, as I said, there's a lot of options. Like, we're definitely not done exploring aggro in this format. If we're going to go mono-red burn with just a bunch of cheap burn spells, it might also be worth looking at taking another look at the red companion from Akoria, whose name escapes me at the moment, that deals extra damage whenever you deal non-combat damage. I think that was kind of overlooked in favor of Luris and Yorian because it's not as powerful. But if we're going to go burn, I think we should take another look at that card as well. Which one that deals extra damage when you do non-combat damage? You mean Obosh? Yes, Obosh. Because Obosh is only for odd-costed cards. And it's a 5-drop itself. So I wonder if that's not just too slow. I mean, it might be worth squeezing in your deck if your deck can fit it anyway. But I feel like you're giving up too much by not going even. Mainly a lot of the payoffs. You can't... Like, if I talk about the three payoffs I had, if you run Obosh, you couldn't run Flame of Kelt, you can't run Torbran, and you can't run Embercleave. And you can't run Hazard. So I do get the feeling that running um, Obosh might make your deck too slow. Obosh is definitely one of the companions that took like almost the biggest hit when they changed companions. Because it was supposed to be in low-to-the-ground aggro decks. And you were already like, it's quite the sacrifice to put a 5-drop in a low-to-the-ground aggro deck. Because you'd often like not even get to the mana to cast it. And now he's effectively 8 mana, because he loses this, like, comes out of nowhere factor. I mean, out of nowhere is revealed all the time. But you can, like, oh, this is a good board state to play Obosh. Let's slap him down. And you do lose that um, aspect of him. Now, another aggro deck that I haven't seen explored much could potentially, like, other mono-green decks. I'm thinking, like, uh, mono-colored decks, like mono-green Stompy, or maybe even mono-white. I saw some lists floating around, which is like an almost mono-white tokens deck, which might have some potential. I would assume that avenue would have been explored already if it was, uh, if it was, if it did actually have any potential. So may maybe that deck's just bad. I just want Obosh to be a good card. I don't think that's ever going to happen again, Matt. I don't think so either, but I want it. Obosh is such a bad magic card now. If somebody could make Obosh work, I would totally be happy going into red or black to play Obosh. I mean, all these human lists are definitely uh, aggro slanted, which would make them pretty strong. Yeah. I mean, these human decks look sweet. Like I know. Like, humans, man. Fun. humans is such a fun concept. And like, I've always liked it in Magic because it feels like there's all these monsters running around. And then yeah. you can sort of play, quote-unquote, the good guys by playing humans. Even though one of the humans you're playing is General Kudro, is a bit of an asshole. But... <laughs> I don't know too much of the lore of Magic, so I can't really speak to that, but it's just fun to play cards that just 
all the cards work together, and now all of a sudden your human army is unstoppable. The mono red just seemingly being stretched into every single direction, uh, not having its own identity yet. And it's almost like mono red is the new white, because that's the problem with white and <laughs> pioneer, right? Uh, the problem is like it doesn't seem to have an identity. Its identity prior to the bans was this sun gun combo of walking ballista and heliot. And now ballista's gone. It's like, okay, are you gonna play a mono white life game deck with heliot on the on the quote unquote top end? Ooh, big three drop coming in. White needs its identity back because mono white by itself, and I always thought that that mono white deck with the Heliot combo was just bad. It was a bad mid-range deck that was able to kind of go with this random beatdown plan and stumble into a combo is what the game plan was. And they need like a Thalia or something like that to make a taxing kind of deck or just something different if they're going to go the aggro route. It just doesn't seem good enough now. And I think that's the same thing with red at the moment. Not necessarily to the same extent that White has, where it's just like, oh my god, it's just horrible. Why would you even try this? White is a splash color, and that's it. Um, but Red is just like, do we go chonky? Do we bring back Glorybringer? Which we talked about last week, it seems kind of bad, right? And uh, Or do we go low to the ground? Um, and, and how low to the ground did he go? do we go? Yeah, do you just go one drops and like, are you playing Eidolon? Or is Eidolon going to hurt you too much? Is are you going to run into other aggro decks? Um, and do we play Bone Crusher again? Like, because it's the first thing I noticed looking at the mono uh, red list is like a decent chunk of them just seemingly were you know absent with Bone Crusher, and it's like that was one of the best cards pre uh, before Theros, so. It was weird to see them kind of slowly... It's almost like they just forgot. They forgot it was a card. And they're like, oh, damn. I could play this card. It, it's it's picking up some pace again, for what I can tell. Uh, also being played alongside Torbran. Like, Torbran seems to be the most commonly used one. Might also be the build that's, like, pretty good at squeezing a Hazoret in there. Because it's a bit harder to fit into uh, Embercleave. Though it would be great with Embercleave. But because you need one or fewer cards in your hand, so with Hazoret, that would have to be only your Ember Cleave, and then your Hazoret can attack, and you can throw an Ember Cleave on it, and you get like a 12 5 indestructible trample double striker or something, which is probably going to win you the game the moment it happens, but it's a bit hard to set up. But I think we've covered most of the aggro decks to talk about. Um, now, before we want to go into the Spice, which I know a lot of people are waiting for. It might be a good one to discuss some cards you could start bringing to combat the meta that's coming up. Because we already got some established decks, and now we've got Wilderness Reclamation, Look of Fires, and do you guys know of any cards that maybe you've seen pop up in leagues, or that you can like acknowledge, like, yeah, these cards would be uh, good against certain archetypes that people should probably be putting into their decks or considering for their sideboards? Um, Matt, what do you think as far as, I mean, I know you're kind of limited in your mono green world, so I don't know what, what green cards you're bringing in. Um, actually when it comes to matchups, it's for mono green, you're, you're looking more at artifacts like Graft Digger's Cage and, um, Damping Sphere. I think Damping Sphere, it kind of disappeared for a little bit. Now it's coming back. It's in a lot of the top decks again. People are realizing that it might have been a little bit of a mistake to take that out because even though 
combo is wounded, it's still good against other matchups. It can really hurt things like Nip to Light, where you you're just making them pay more mana to cast their spells, and they can't continually cast spells. It's not so much of a big deal against fires because mana doesn't matter. But I think Damping Sphere is still just good to have in any sideboard. Well, Damping Sphere certainly is good, and it taxes um, plenty of decks, uh, but it also taxes yourself, which is an issue. If we look at just the top cards in general on the Goldfish uh, page for the uh, format staples and Pioneer, the number one card overall being played it's actually two of them tied at 43 percent uh, of all decks is fatal push and Thoughtseize. that's no surprise um mystical disputes number three at 35 percent the majority of that being cyborg obviously then teferi um and then if we go just look at spells in general it's push Thoughtseize, dispute teferi heartless act graph digger's cage aether gust othanissa abrupt decay shark typhoon now out of all these cards, I count what about half of them is pretty consistent uh, cyborg cards. Uh, push is both main deckable and a cyborg card in plenty of decks. Um, Thoughtseize can be in cyborg card or can be a cyborg card, like Orzhov Wars has four on the side, but it's almost exclusively main deck at this point because typically the idea of is uh, if you're in a deck that can run it, why not run it in the uh, in the main? So I kind of, I'll leave that more to the main deck aspect. But yeah, Mystical Dispute, Heartless Act, um, Graph Digger's Cage, Aether Gust, and those are pretty much all cyborg cards, right? Pretty much. There, there, there are some cards that I've seen pick up play. A very notable one is um, Light of Hope, which has been coming out of things like Spirits, which, in case people don't know, it's a card from Ikoria. It's one white, and it's Choose One. Gain four life, destroy target enchantment, or put a 1 1 counter on a creature. Which is actually a card that has a lot of implications in a lot of different matchups. Uh, gain four life could be very good against, um, what's we got, like aggro, right? If your opponent tries to burn you, you're just like one mana counter a Boros Charm. That's always good. Destroy target enchantment is, I think, almost similar to what we talked about about the Citadel. Uh, wing like, man, people aren't interacting with artifacts as much. There's kind of a similar thing going on with enchantments for a while, and now you can see things like Fires of Invention, Reclamation, uh, coming up to do that sort of thing. And it's obviously good against those, uh, especially Reclamation, because you effectively make them skip their turn uh, by just one white destroyed on your second main phase before you go to untap. Uh, do make sure to specify this to your opponent when playing, or set your stops correctly on Modo if you're not uh, joining us on the Discord. Um, some other cards I've seen pop up, uh, or that people could start playing, is what we talked about earlier, a Braid. Uh, a Braid is actually a pretty reasonable card too. A lot of the spirits have three toughness, uh, a lot of the lords at least. Unless they Light of Hope it, then they go up to fourth toughness, uh, four toughness. There you go, that's another use for Light of Hope. Um, which is actually kind of relevant because of a card like Deafening Clarion or Anger of the Gods, which is also picking up play. But a Braid would obviously be good at sort of stopping this combo aspect of the Citadel deck, but it also kills literally every card in that deck. So it's even just a reasonable removal spell. Kind of the same goes for Mono Black. It even kills Wrangle. Uh, it kills a lot of cards in Mono Red. Now, it doesn't kill Torbran, 
which can actually be pretty important. It doesn't kill Winoda, which is definitely a point against it. Uh, though it does kill some of the things Winoda would use to set up. Like if they go and Eldritch Evolution, like one of their two drops, and you abrade their Rebel Master, that's definitely going to make it so they have way fewer Winoda triggers. So it even has applications there. And then obviously, not going to list every car, every matchup where dealing three damage is good. Um, Another card I've seen pop up, which is very strong against mostly Niv Delight, but it has applications in a lot of matchups, it's Self-Inflicted Wound, which is uh, one on a black for a card that says target opponent sacrifices a white or green creature, and if that player does, they lose two life. Now, this is actually very good against Niv because you can use it to destroy their Sylvan Caryatid. So first of all, you get in damage, you slow them down, you stop their mana fixing, um, so you've just got a lot of ways to make them stumble. Now, anything that kills a green card is potentially good against mono green, uh, especially a card like Noxious Grasp can be powerful in that matchup. Also, great against Niftalite. Pretty much every creature in Niftalite is either or Planeswalker is either white or green. So it actually kills everything in the deck. So Noxious Grasp is also a very powerful option to go by, and thinking like, Matt, are there some other things you might want to start putting in your wish board? You talked about Damping Sphere, Graph Digger's Cage. Are there any other cards you might be interested in from now? Uh, Pithing Needle. Just to shut off combo is pretty good. I mean, that seems pretty decent in, um, what's it called? In the Fires matchup, I guess? I mean... I guess you could name Luca. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, Pithing Needle is definitely good. I, I when I was playing against somebody a few days ago on uh, I was on Reclamation, they brought in Pithing Needle, and they named Castle Vantress, which was that's really, kind of spicy. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, and they just shut because we were towards the end of like like top decking kind of thing, and he just flat out shut down my uh, my scrying ability, which was you know it was a cool play. So yeah, Pithing Needle is definitely. You can also a great name card. Shark Typhoon with that, right? So they can't cycle it for a creature. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that would work. Pithing Needle also can ruin Mono Green's day by naming Nykthos, and now all of a sudden you can't make all the mana you want to make. You are no longer allowed to cheat. <laughs> so yeah, but it doesn't stop Nissa doubling the mana. So I mean, you can. I mean, still... that's why you bring in the second one, and that one names Nissa. Hey, I'm just gonna open up my uh, my hand and just casually have four uh, pithing needles to start. We'll name all your planeswalkers and Nykthos. GG. <laughs> I mean, that would work. Sounds, yeah, but sounds like on. a plan. <laughs> Bring in clever impersonator so you can make even more pithing needles. And then you just go to the random beatdown plan. They have like yeah. This is try- this is trying creatures. to start like the absolute worst hate hate deck like prison deck of all time. I tried building that um, in standard when uh, what's it called <laughs> came out. Uh, no, from Theros, uh, the um, the bird thing. The uh, it starts with an A. The creature type. Uh, oh my Aven? god! No, not an Aven. It's uh, oh, it's like it locks it down. Like it basically, it turns all creatures into three threes. I think. Um, oh my goodness! This is going to drive me insane because I thought it was so funny. Wait, hold on. If I check Goldfish real quick, I have I should have a saved deck. So we go to my decks. We're gonna go through this bit by bit because I really want this to work. Um, 
it was horrible. I know it was really bad because I played it. And uh, so, in the meantime, like maybe uh, Matt and I can talk about some other cards that people could potentially consider. Um, I think a card like Hushbringer could be a very powerful card. There was a lot of ETB stuff going on. Um, though I suppose it is a bit easy to kill, but you could say that for every creature on a, uh, every uh, hate bear, I guess. Are there any card? Oh, a card that I remembered from Mono Green, and there's actually a different version of this showing up in Niftalite, and we've talked about this before, is a way to punish spirits with like specific anti-flying cards. So a cool one to pick up in a Mono Green deck, if you want to, now this can be Mono Green Planeswalkers, but maybe you're playing some other Mono Green deck that struggles, struggles with spirits. It's got like Windstorm. Uh, Windstorm is an instant speed card that is one X and green, and it does X, X damage to every creature with flying. And because it's an instant speed card, you can sort of start playing Spirits' game. Maybe they don't see it coming as easily. Then there's a card which does the exact same, but there's an effect staple to it for red, and it's Heaven and Earth. It's one of the... I think it's an Hour of Devastation card, one of the split cards, which does the exact same thing, but in, from your graveyard, you can cast it um, for... I think it's X red red, and it does X damage to all creatures without flying. And that actually makes it a gruel card, which means you can pick it up with Niv. But another card Niv decks have been running, which is like multi-purpose, is Gruel Charm, which we talked about earlier, which can do three damage to every creature with flying, or it can give you back all your stolen permanents, which is fantastic against uh, Yorion Fires, yeah, Yorion Fires lists. Because they might be agent of treacherying your Niv, and then it's like, yeah, yeah. But before we go to the end of your turn, I'll take that back. Wait, wait, wait. But you're forgetting that they have Teferi in play, so you have to wait until your turn. I mean, maybe that. I'm like, yeah, that's. Then you have to wait till your turn. That's true. Um, but uh, side note, I found the deck. It was not when Theros came out. It was when Eldraine came out. Uh, so. <laughs> it was called Azorius Prison. I just was jamming four Hushbringer, four Brazen Borrower, three Archon of Absolution, one Harmonious Archon, and one Realm Cloak Giant, and then Dovin Hand of Control, Narset, Teferi, and Casmina, uh, Enigmatic, uh, or Enigmatic Mentor. Mentor. This sounds yeah. like a terrible standard deck. It was a terrible uh, standard deck, but wait, I'm not even done. We had four main deck deafening silence because we're dumb. And, Which is uh, actually a reasonable sideboard card, depending on what type of deck you're thinking you're facing. But at the moment, there's not a lot of non-creature stuff going on like there was before. But it, it is a card keep it, uh, that's good to keep in the back of your mind, especially because unlike Damping Sphere, it's actually the type of card that you can make one-sided. Where damping spheres, like if I'm trying to cast a lot of spells in one turn, and so is my opponent, then I'm actually screwing both of us over. But if you're playing a creature deck and your opponent's playing a non-creature deck, then you can actually make this effect one-sided, which makes it ridiculously strong. It's it's a super powerful card if you can manage to sort of break the symmetry in the right meta. Do you know what Archon of Absolution does? God, the that's not is that the white one? Oh, of course it's white. It's an archon. 
because oh, because the white one, I think it's a six mana four six flying or something. When it comes in, it makes two one one humans, and every other creature that is not an archon is a three three. That is harmonious archon. There is a one of in the deck. It is a six mana four five. Um, but archon is of the, absolution is, is an this the one where they? Is this the one with um, ghostly presence stapled onto it? Uh, creatures cannot attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller pays one for each of those creatures. Oh, one. So it's with shitty ghostly prison stapled to it. Yeah, pretty much. But it has protection from white! <laughs> it's a white card with protection from white, which is very relevant because there's a lot of white cards being played. I mean, I suppose you uh... can... It can be bounced with the fairy, and it's it can be blocked by Niv. Fun fun fact about how little white is seeing play. Uh, the 14th most played land in standard is planes. There are more Temple of Mysteries being played than basic planes. Yeah. There's your yeah, format. All right. I read a great post about it. I said how the four colors of magic are perfectly balanced. And it was this entire like article written just as if white didn't exist. And talking about how balance, how standard was actually pretty balanced if you considered all four colors of magic. Yeah, white. Like I was saying before, uh, you know, it's you know partially joking, but there's some seriousness behind it. White just feels like a sideboard card, right? Feels like or a sideboard color, I should say, or a splash color. It's like you don't want a white deck. However, white is one of the strongest colors in unison with other colors. Like where that's where you get these, you know, pseudo prisony kind of effects, or you get like, you know, deputy detention is a great cyborg card. Deafening silence is a solid cyborg card. Um, I mean, it's, it, might be, it might be coming up again later. I mean, green used to be pretty bad, like a couple years ago, I think. And then wizards was like, "Oh, you want better green cards? Are you gonna get better green cards?" I think when they spoiled, it all started with Carnage. <laughs> When they uh, had Elder Gargaroth, when that was spoiled, I believe Mark Rosewater actually made some sort of like a post or a tweet or a Tumblr, whatever you call it on Tumblr when you post something. A tumble? Saying, say, a tumble, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> saying something along the lines of, um, we've acknowledged green is too powerful. However, because of the delay in the design process, expect some messed up green cards in the next few sets, and it should die down after that. So we might get even more stupid cards in Zendikar Rising, and then... Well, that just makes sense, right? With, you know, Landfall all but returning, right? That that seems... True. We're oh, we're going to get some crazy green card with Landfall, probably. Yeah, I feel like I mean, we have to. This I mean, is the 20... last hurrah for green, I guess. I mean, considering, like, how that cycle works with how green was bad, maybe 2020... Uh, 2022, if we even make it to that year, considering how disastrous 2020 is going... Um. Maybe that year we'll be all like, man, white's way too good, and red is never played. And this cycle just goes over and over until they will figure out how to balance the colors, which is never. Yeah. As long as we don't go back to a set where they just go like, uh, let's just completely throw the color pie out the window, where that's like, I don't want mana tithe again. Let's not do that. I mean, countering is actually... In white. No, shut up. I shut up. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not part of their pie. It's not at all. It is, it is blue. I'm, I believe no. it's secondary, even as an effect, because there are multiple white counter spells. No. <laughs> no. You've seen the Bugs Bunny meme? Where he's just going, no. Oh, that no. one. Yeah. 
I um I mean we could finally see control decks that aren't blue, which might be like an interesting take on it. I think it was mm-hmm. like four years ago where we finally where it was like the last time that we saw a control deck that didn't have blue in it. Excuse me. Before the last rotation, you know what deck I played a decent amount? Mono red control with all the yep. Chandras. That yeah, deck was so much fun with the Zafran Void or whatever as the Skyland. We're talking about meta decks, Brad. Hey, Not whatever hey, the hell it popped up. Was. It popped up for like a second. Day nine played it. That counts as it being meta, right? Day nine played it, which means it's meta. <laughs> Brad twenty twenty. This is going into the, the standard for what standard meta is, right? Whenever we're going to make the compilation of bloopers during the podcast, even though this is still on record, you should just put that. You just should, put, should just put that in. By the way, no disrespect to Day Nine; he's great, oh, but I don't I think he defines the standard matter. No, and he'll, he'll be the first to admit it. They had a <laughs> a, a poll of like, um, there was like a poll on Twitter like a few weeks ago where it was saying like, who are some like the most beneficial like streamers or content creators that you consider that are important to your learning experience and and seem to know the most about magic and uh he he quote tweeted it or responded to it saying like hey people not saying my name tells me there's a lot of smart people in this world and then not even 20 minutes later someone said his name (laughs) on there he's like oh well (laughs) i i'm not the spokesperson for what spiky should be or what spikes are which might be fun for the listeners now. We've talked about meta. We've broken it down. We talked about upcoming decks. We talked about what you should bring to your meta. We talked about aggro. It might be time to get into the spice. Because there are some hilarious decks to talk about. Yeah, like this Azorius Prison deck I made. Right? Sure. That's what we're talking about? That's, that's, yeah, the, you, main, you, that's the main you thing, keep right? Te- you keep telling yourself that, and then Matt and I will talk about actual decks. Um, I'm offended. That was my intention. Now, where do we start? I I suppose I'm just going to go through the leagues in the order where I found them, and then we can talk about them as we go. And then you could maybe, some of you guys could chip in with decks you found, because, but I have them in order here. And if we do that, we start off with probably the hottest car uh, deck I have seen in a long time. Now, Brad, can you tell me the text on the card, Minotaur Aggressor? Um, it's a French vanilla card, right? With like, it's just big with, or it's a big attacker, small body, and then it has like a couple of keywords. Yes, it is a six-two with haste and first strike, and it costs seven mana. Which coincidentally, because there's another card in the deck, means you can drop it on turn four with Iron Crack Feet, which is obviously what this deck is trying to do. Now, all jokes aside, this is a Death Bellow Warcry deck, which is technically a Theros card, even though it wasn't in the Theros set. It wasn't like these sort of bonus packs or something, which had some extra themes to it, like the theme booster before it was called a theme booster, or maybe it was called a theme booster. I don't yeah, know. I think it, I think it was it was the is the color themes. So this one is you know yeah. I, I'm going to expect everybody to know what this card does, but just in case I'll read it out. It's eight mana, which is five red, 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 or a sorcery. Search your library, 
for up to four Minotaur creature cards with different names, put them onto the battlefield, and shuffle your library. And what are you going to find with those? Well, first of all, Minotaur Aggressor, obviously. Binary Stable. Uh, <laughs> you've got Kragma Warcaller, which is five mana for a 2-3. I mean, talk about a great rate on a card. Minotaur creatures you control have haste. Whenever a Minotaur attacks, it gets plus two attack. Then there is Fanatic of Mogus, which is four mana for a 4-2. And when it comes in, you deal damage to your opponent equal to your devotion to red. Then there's Rageblood Shaman, which is three mana for a 2-3 Trample. And other Minotaurs you control get plus one, plus one in Trample. And then there is Boros Reckoner, a card that people probably do actually know what it does. It's three Boros mana for a 3-3. Whenever Boros Reckoner is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to any target. And for one Boros hybrid mana, you can give it first strike until end of turn. Now, obviously, this is five Minotaurs, so you're going to pick a pile of three, which will always have Kragma Warcaller. Uh, but if you're unfortunate enough to draw into your Minotaur Aggressor, I suppose you're not pulling that one up. And all this deck does is just turbo into this. So we're running Chandra Torch of Defiance, uh, Iron Crack Feet, and Vessel of Volatility, which is one in a red for an enchantment that says one in a red, sacrifice Vessel of Volatility, add four red to your mana pool. So the dream is you go turn one, whatever, pass, point at your opponent funny, then turn two, Vessel of Volatility, turn three, crack it, Iron Crack Feet, play Death Bell War Cry, and one-shot your opponent. That's the dream. There is a backup plan, though. Yeah, you can turbo out an Ugin. No, no, not that. What's that other card you see there? That's uh, a famous sweeper from Ixalan. Oh, yes. I knew about this and then completely forget to read it out. So, Boros Reckoner has this effect where if it's dealt damage, it deals that much damage to any target. So, if you happen to Star of Extinction the entire board, you get to dome your opponent for 20. And we're not playing Commander, so we're hoping this wins the game. And... Yeah, oh yes, of course. I mean, it's a simple curve, right? Turn 3, Reckoner, turn 4, <laughs> Iron Crack Feet, Star of Extinction. It all makes sense. It's, it's the dream, right? Um, and, you know, this deck is... I, I love this deck. This was obviously something that, you know, has existed for a little bit ever since, you know, Death Bill Warcry came out. We've seen uh, this deck as an against the odds thing. I think in Pioneer, maybe it was Modern when they first came out. I don't remember which. Um, I know Seth did it on Goldfish. But I just want to take a side note here. And I, I keep, I can't look at Boris Reckoner without realizing or just remembering that at one point in its long existence in Magic, this was a $25 card at one point. I mean, it's just a good magic card. Well, it's yeah. obviously nothing super special now. It's just a, it's just a solid card. And wasn't this in the same standard format as Blasphemous Act? So there was already a sort of burn your opponent's face thing going yeah, on. Yeah, this was Gatecrash was the original printing of Boris Reckoner. So yeah, I believe so. I believe that was in the same rotation as... I think it's from Innis... It's not from Innistrad, but it's from Innistrad Block, Blasphemous Act. Hey, the, if, according to Goldfish... The spike was attributed to um, a the breakout cards in their standard format being Boros Reckoner, Obsidat. Is that how you say that? Is Obsidat? 
Okay, Obsidat Ghost Council and Gyre Sage. So there you go. Those are those are the breakout now, cards in standard back in yeah. 2013. I mean, uh, another thing this deck does, you can turbo it out through Nykthos because it also runs Wily Goblin. So like turn two Wily Goblin, turn three Boros Reckoner actually gives you five devotion to red to go over your Nykthos and it gives you a treasure. Now what I love when I look at this deck is that I look at this and I'm like, you can actually still do so much with this deck, which seems weird. But one of the things that I notice is that there is black in the mana base, which I guess is if you want to hard cast your Kragma Warcaller. And it doesn't sound like a game you're winning, but I suppose sometimes it might be a backup plan. Hey, hey. But it does nothing It gives everything else, else haste, right? And whenever, he, whenever a Minotaur you control attacks, it gets plus two, plus zero. Oh. I mean, yes, so Brad, that is, that is what the card does. Individual Minotaurs... Right, so it it should that should buff him for each minotaur attacking. Right, that's that's a house. That's a limited bomb. That is a exactly. limited bomb. If you case you draft a minotaur tribal and limited, but which by the way I feel bad for you if you do. Uh, yes, yeah, so minotaur staple wily goblin. So, so there is black, and there's actually ten black sources in this deck, but it does nothing else with this black mana. There's no Thoughtseize, no Noxious Grasp, no Self-Inflicted Wound. There's absolutely nothing to do with this black mana. And that makes me think there could actually be potential in either bringing in some more black cards, maybe making it a little more interactive, or just realizing, hey, I just don't want to run Crack My Warcaller, or I, I want to run Crack My Warcaller, but I'm just going to acknowledge that if I draw it, I'm going to have to fire Prophecy to the bottom of my deck. And... This might open you up to play some different cards. Maybe you want to play Hazard of the uh, Desert of the Fervents. You've got like a cycle land to find your combo stuff. Or you want to run like a couple of Selfrin Voids so you can scry. Or maybe you only end up running four Temple of Malice because it does give you the black, but it is a scry rather than a two it is now. So I love how wacky this deck is, but it also made me think about it for like 15 minutes as to how you could actually change this deck to probably make it still, like, question yourself, like, how the hell this 5-0'd. But there is work to be done with this deck, which I think is just super cool. This deck just, just takes people by surprise, right? That That's how a 5-0 is. Like, you're not expecting this. So oh, yeah, it just gets a good laugh, which which yeah. is which is annoying about it, because you go to an FNM, and you try and bring this deck to, like, take people by surprise, but you're going to do this in game one and your opponent's going to laugh so hard that everyone's going to look at your table and immediately know what you're on for the next game. Yeah. So it, it takes away the surprise factor just by how cool it is. Well, you know how you can make this deck better? You splash blue, you run the enchantment from... No, no, no. You run the enchantment from Ixalan that makes everything a named tribe. Um, arcane Adaptation. And then you could put better cards in your deck. Yeah, you just run a better tribe or just a better card. Um, and you just say, yeah, they're all Minotaurs. And then you just turbo out some just dumb just bombs. Agent of Treachery. Cool. You just get two Agent of Treacheries and you're, you're good to go. They're all Minotaurs. Have fun. So moving on to the next deck. And this is actually quite cool because this chipped into what we talked about last week. Well, last week we talked about, hey... Can't we take Mono Green Devotion and go into Simic Devotion? Which is, you've been quiet for a while, Matt, but I know you had a lot to say about. So this is probably a deck that you're going to enjoy, because this was actually Simic Devotion, but it went 
way less into blue than we initially talked about. It didn't even run Arrow. It just ran Hydroid Crisis and blue sideboard cards. So, shocker, this deck actually ran a sideboard where it ran Mystical Dispute and Disdainful Stroke just to have access to blue cards from the board. And keep have in you mind, seen there's deck, no, no card, too. But yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I saw this list. I've it's an interesting list. It's definitely very spicy. Something I might play as like a one of one off for one tournament. Um, I still like mono green better. I don't like when you're playing devotion. I don't like mixing colors because I want to just have everything be devoted to one color when you're playing devotion. But it was definitely a spicy list. I I saw it and I almost laughed because I remembered the conversation we had. And I, I think it at, ended up this running. Um, yeah, it, so it just dipped in for blue, which obviously meant that it still ran um, zero um, islands, which is obviously what you want. Uh, the only non non forest lands it ran were Botanical Sanctum and Yavimaya Coast, aside from Castle Garenbreak and Nykthos, which also shows up in the other decks. So the tax on running fewer forests wasn't as severe because the dip into blue was so small. Which I thought was a cool way to go about the deck. Yeah. And I love the uh, I love the main deck. I, I, so this is obviously, when we talked about this, we were saying, well, if you splash in blue, you just throw Karn out the window because you don't, you want blue sideboard cards. So you drop Karn. So it's cool to see what way they go about replacing Karn. And they decide to just go uh, play some Umogs in the main deck and some uh, Garrick's Harbinger or Harbinger and uh, Sylvan Carrot too. Yeah, that's cool. And obviously Hydro Crisis. So you still have Vivian and Nissa and Oath and Nissa. But yeah, you don't need to, uh, you know, tutor out for a, a, a Umog. Uh, there's still, you know, one on the side and an Emrakul on the side for Vivian to tutor out if you so wish. But, Which seems a little overkill to me. Like having access to four titans in total is a bit much. Do it. Bring them in. Side them in. Well, I think the idea there is because these kinds of decks ramp so fast, you might not have time to draw into your main deck Ulamogs before you're ready to tutor it and drop it. So having that one in the sideboard to tutor with a Vivian in case you don't draw into it quick enough is still nice. True. It does eat up together with the with the blue cards, it does eat up a lot of the board, where I do feel like it really lacks this versatility that the mono green list has with Karn, which I assume is why this deck hasn't really picked up any steam aside from this list. But who needs versatility when you're casting Ulamog? I mean, you do have to get there. Yeah, you do have to get there, but you can get there turn 4, turn 5 if you, if you oh. play correctly. By the way, before we move on to anything else, I do think it's appropriate to uh, credit whoever made the deck, which I forgot. The Death Battle Warcry combo was by Alex Firo. And this blue-green devotion deck was by someone called Ariana. So to both of those people, sick decks, grats on 5-0. I don't know if you guys want to touch on anything about this deck before we move on to the next one. Nope, but I do have a question for you, Alex, once... Uh... Matt tells us if he wants to say anything about the splashing blue. I would just say, if you're going to go Devotion, go green. There's no reason to put blue in there. Green is just proven to be good. Don't gatekeep Devotion. 
but other than that, I don't really have anything else to say about the deck. I saw it, I laughed, and then I just kind of moved on because I'm like, yeah, it was a one-time thing. It'll never, I don't think it'll ever be tier one. Hmm. Well, Alex, you are our Grixis aficionado, correct? Um, hopefully, yes. If I if I'm still not good at playing these colors after playing them for so long, I should definitely hop onto something else. What is your opinion of the card Grim Tutor? I think the card is bad. I know what deck you're going to talk about. Because there was a Grixis Fires deck that uses that on turn 3 to get the Fires on turn 4, which I think is pretty much the only way where Grim Tutor will ever be good. Like, Diabolic Tutor is an absolutely unplayable, horrible magic card. And you sort of staple a... Battle Wits. It, okay. you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. If you staple on like a super Phyrexian mana that costs you three life. Now, a lot of cards are very powerful when you make one of the manas Phyrexian mana. Diabolic Tutor is not one of those cards. Like, it's just, unless you're trying to do something silly with it, like Fires, Grim Tutor is just way too slow. Well, yeah, you're right. There is a Grixis list here, and it 5-0'd in this, uh, this beautiful league on August 10th. Uh, that had the same Death Bell Warcry deck and the Simic Devotion. And uh, yeah, it ran two Grim Tutors. It also ran two Masterminds Acquisition, which was a house in standard. Um, well, not a house. It was it was a card in standard. It was great. Um, they ran it yeah. in the best of one tournament, right? Where everybody played Esper Control and you didn't have a sideboard because it was a best of one tournament. So everybody yeah. ran Masterminds Acquisition. Yeah. And then obviously you have your Grixis things. Two Nicol Bolas, the Ravager. Two, the Scarab God. Three, Narset. One, Chandra. Torture Defiance. One, Jace, Architect of Thought. Two, Ashiok, Nightmare Muse. Two, big old Nikki B from War of the Spark. And then you just have your Grixis do stuff. Dreadbore, Thought Erasure, Anger of the Gods. And then your Grim Tutor, Mastermind's Acquisition. Fires of Invention, which I think is awesome in Grixis. Alex, you should do that. And then three Shark Typhoon, 26 lands, and you go from there. I want to ask you something, though, real quick. As a Grixis player, what is your opinion on no Thoughtseize being present in this deck? I think it actually kind of makes sense in the context of this deck, especially if you're running a card like Grim Tutor. Like, you do not want to just auto-lose every game one against aggro. Now, uh, I actually... For some reason, cannot find this list. Uh, are the thought ceases in the board? No. Or are there just none present? None at all. The board it... is uh, Aethergust, Collective Brutality, Damping Sphere, Bantu's Last Reckoning, Kalidus, Chandra Awaken Inferno, two of them, by the way, and then two ultimatums, Inspired and Ruinous. Because you got to remember that you have Mastermind's Acquisition, so you have a pseudo wish board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I think having zero Thoughtseize in the deck in its entirety might be a poor choice. However, I think if you're going against a deck like Niv or Mono Green, this kind of tries to do what the Jeska Lu Jeskai Luka deck tries to do. But the Jeskai Luka deck is probably better at it. But it tries to just go way over the top. And this deck looks to go way over the top of everything else. And all it wants to do against aggro is not die. And because it wants the consistency of Grim Tutor, you're already losing life. 
the Grixis mana base tends to be pretty painful. So it's probably like, I mean, this deck's just not well set up against combo, probably. But this was a pretty early list. So they were probably going with the idea of like, I'm not going to run into much aggro, uh, not much combo, because there's not much there. So I'm just going to try and dodge it. And then I kind of think not running Thoughtseize makes sense. Yeah. And Thought Erasure is also a nice card. To, you know, the Surveil is probably relevant, right? Kind of want to dig. <laughs> digging. To, no life loss, which again can be relevant. And just digging towards your fires. Because this deck runs... Uh, again, I cannot find the list. I believe it runs Kasmina too. Did I hear that correctly? Um, or is that another there, list? There, that is another list. Um, let me yeah, see so there were two Grixis fires list and one run Kasmina. Yep. So... Yeah, like the deck's just cool. Um, I'm almost more of a almost Drogo purist, whatever you want to call it. This hardly feels like a control deck and just feels like a barf a lot of big stuff out deck. Which I mean is cool, right? But this I feel like this person or the people who run this Grixis deck kind of have the same thing as I have, where it's like I prefer Grixis or Demir based decks over Azorius based decks. So even though there is an Azorius-based Fires deck, if there's a Grixis one, I'm going to be playing a Grixis one. And if I would ever play a Fires list, it would definitely be this and not Lurker. Wouldn't you want to run... Because we're talking about Thought Erasure's, you know, the reasoning of Thought Erasure over, you know, Thoughtseize being the possible possibility of wanting to dig into your deck deeper with Surveil. Why isn't Fire Prophecy more prevalent in Grixis lists? Because that seems like a really oddly great home for that card even just in the side it is honestly just because it's not a good enough removal spell well, like three man, uh, between a three yeah three but between, between eliminate and heartless act you just have way better removal from black and otherwise you can consider things like a braid scorching dragon fire like on the two mana removal spot there is just a lot of competition when ikoria got spoiled i actually just i don't know i i tend to like pre-order random cards I end up not using. I definitely pre-ordered them because I saw it and it's like, hey, this is like a two mana removal spell that like pseudo loots, which yeah. is like well more rummages. Which is actually pretty powerful. But it's just not good enough as a removal spell. So it tries to do two things at once and it ends up being pretty bad at both. Because the main decks it shows up in are decks like well the Death Battle Warcry, Winoda, um decks that really draw these cards that are just super dead and you want to bottom them because they're made part of some sort of combo if you play a control deck all cards in your deck tend to be like just good spells so generally there's less value in bottoming a card because you're not often going to run into an unplayable card except for like thought sees if your opponent is empty-handed or something it's a fair point um before i go to my favorite list my absolute favorite list in this entire challenge. Not challenge, good God, this league. Matt, any opinions on Grixis and Grim Tutor and how bad it is as a color combination and you should tell Alex to stop playing it? Anybody who plays Grixis doesn't know how to play Magic. I mean, that's just fact. I'm being bullied here. I, I, I need made, help, guys. I'm being bullied. made fun of my Azorius prison list, okay? So this is just fair. I mean, I no, but I admit it's bad. I admit it. Everybody knows green is the only good color. If you're not playing mono green, you're not playing correctly. Let's right, just I don't agree with that, but you know. Let's just have every league just be mono green. 
forever. Oh, that would be an interesting mana. Mono green mirrors. It's just like erased a, a Nykthos and Burning Tree emissaries. Oh, yeah. Nykthos would get banned so fast if that's all the, that this uh, <laughs> format was. Holy. But, no. I think this list is interesting. It's funny. I I love this league as a whole because it was just like a bunch of funny decks that just went 5-0 and once and now they'll never do it again because now people saw them. That's oddly pessimistic, but, you know, you, you feel that way, sir. I mean, it also that. is a bit where, like, the meta's wide open at the start. You're more likely to run into other jank decks. Like, hey, maybe if you're playing your Grixis Fires list, you run into Deathbellow Warcry combo and it never gets to 8 mana, and there you go, that's a free win. It also is the nature of League results. Like, a lot of the spicy decks you're going to find in Leagues, because maybe, like, I could 5-0 with a Grixis list if I play 15 Leagues in a week, right? Because I just have more shots at getting a 5-0. Where in a prelim, you're, you're one shot. You get your, you're trying to get in with your deck, and you get smashed, and it's not like, oh, I'll just hop into another prelim immediately. So leak results are always skewed, but that's why we do get the spicy decks. Now, Matt is off for a moment, but that gives me and Brad more time to ramble about the next deck that we're going to talk about. Because I'm pretty sure, Brad, but you were referring to your favorite deck. I could have a guess at which one it is. Well, let's see if you can read my mind correctly, because my favorite deck in this entire league, you know about Nyawanoda, right? Obviously, that's no way you're going to say up. the Boros Winoda deck. No. Okay. Better. Let's throw in one extra color. It's Jeskai Winoda. I love this deck. You know why? Because right. one of the targets to go get is Mantis Rider. That's awesome i love it it's just straight up it's this it's back to the standard kind of version of winota when first came out going okay we're gonna play raise the alarm we're gonna play anything and everything that can make little stuff legion's war boss goblin instigators in this deck you have selfless saver to kind of be a nice little way to protect your board outside of life's bounty it's another non-human to trigger uh you know uh, winota it's a thing to help protect your winota things like that and what are the humans are trying to get besides the wonderful Mantis Rider? All right, let's see. We have four Reflector Mage. Relevant, good card. It was banned in standard. Surely it's going to be good here. Um, Venerated Loxodon is not a human, but oh my god, I love that they put it in the deck. It's so great. It's, that it's just, card just looks so out of place. It like it probably works way better than you think because when you have those boards that just kind of stall a little bit and you're not going into a nota it's a nice way to just be like yeah just pump it pump the board and we just go beat down from there i mean if you make like a few goblins with i mean instigator and war boss and you just pump them all and then you keep pumping them with mentor uh that seems pretty nice i mean i i just never agree with decks that have weird plan b's in their main board like, you're a Winoda deck, you're already just stuffed to the brim with random beaters. You already have a beatdown plan. Why do you put this 5-drop in that helps your alternate beatdown plan? It just takes because... me back to people playing Counters Company and Modern, which just started <laughs> off as a devoted Druid combo deck and just slowly devolved into Celestia midrange. And it's just like, what are you doing? Just play your deck how you're supposed to play it and win on turn 3. Look, Same for Winota. Just win dropping, on turn three. We're dropping a Loxodon. We're pumping the team. We're continuing to beat you down. We just, don't does this deck even play Angraph's Marauder? Yeah, it plays four of that. Yeah, it plays yeah, okay. 
Of course, you you can't not play it. Um, but I think I think Loxodon seems you know it seems right. It just it feels it feels right in my heart. Okay, that's what I that's what's important. Um, I, I kind of think maybe you want four Legion War Boss rather than just three. I don't know. I know a cart you can cut to at your War Boss. Don't say Loxodon. <laughs> I was going to say Loxodon. No, so I did blasphemy. So I did guess wrong when we're talking about your favorite deck, because I was thinking of an entirely different deck. Even even yeah. none of the colors are present. But well, to finish off about this Jeskai Winoda deck, I I don't really see the point. I feel like the green deck is just a little bit faster, and this takes me back to what I just talked about. Like, don't alternate to your beatdown plan. Go with your plan A. Just go with your turbo out of Winoda, hit two Angrafts Marauder, one-shot your opponent on turn four. Like, go with that. And it feels like the green deck is just better at that. Yeah, but the plan B is much better on this one because, I, I, and you know, step take a step back from the Venerate Loxodon idea first. Yeah, Ignore yeah. that as the plan B. Um, you look at things like, you know, Mantis Rider by itself, casting that for three man, uh, for its cost isn't bad. It's a 3-3 three, three, for three, with flying vigilance and haste, that's those are great stats. Um, you also have reflector mage as a nice way to help you with your tempo idea of this deck. You're not ramping into your your you know essentially your your combo if you think about it as quickly as you possibly can and just going okay let's get that kill. You have ways to kind of get you there where you're sacrificing the ramp. You're gaining the ability to still interact with your opponent and be like I can still keep up with you in other ways and you know go with that route. And that's why I think that the list works in that sense. Now, obviously, we're talking about this, and you know, Matt's been the only one to keep mentioning this with all the decks. But yeah, we haven't seen any of these lists pop up since. I get it. Doesn't mean the list doesn't I seem mean, to to not work, right? I mean, I think what it proves to me is that yes, there's a better Plan B built into this deck, but the Winoda Plan A is just good enough. So the decks that tunnel in onto that are just better because Winoda's plan A is strong enough that you don't really need to care about your plan B. That's kind of what it tells me. Whereas sure. maybe if the Winoda plan A wasn't good enough, I mean, let's say in a hypothetical world where Winoda digs like two cards less deep and like your beatdown plan is just less reliable. Like, hey, you might, I mean, your plan A is less reliable. Maybe you want to default to beatdown. That's where Jessica Shell would actually be better. I mean, keep it in mind, maybe in a future mana, you do actually want to run the Jeskai Shell. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a, you know, I might build it, might play it. Um, I mean, if you're now, base red, you do have better mana. Yeah, that's true. Which is, because you can build base it around like cards like Spire Bluff Canal and Inspiring Vantage, and you just get yep. better mana. Which, if people are trying to, like, burn you out, right, having better mana that deals less damage to you is just a plus. So, Alex, I realize what list you were talking about now. And we'll call it a tie. Because you and I both have a soft spot for this tribe, right? Yes. Very much so. Zombies, baby. Mono, black, zombies. Now, I have I, some thoughts on this list, but 
it is a really it's really cool to see the deck in action because it also showed up twice. So it has by two different pilots. So it has slightly more legs than you would think. Yeah. And look, we are in a format in which, and we have been in a format with, with Pioneer over the last almost year now. Mono Black has been a deck that has been successful. The two main versions were just basic Mono Black aggro with your just recursive threats. And the other one was Mono Black Vampires. Both have similarly uh, similar play styles and also pretty different play styles in, in, in other regards. But why can't zombies be in that conversation either? I think it totally can. And you look at what this deck has to offer. It has recursion. It has wonderful card draw with Cryptbreaker. It has two powerful lords. Um, granted, the thing that holds back zombies, I think, in terms of the lord slot, is the absence of a two-mana lord in zombies. Granted, Merfolk has how many two-mana lords and it's still a bad deck? So I mean, Merfolk isn't in Pioneer. If, if, if all the two-mana Merfolk lords were in Pioneer, it would probably be a pretty damn good deck. A Coco deck I mean, at that. It, I mean, it, it lacks Aether Vial. So that definitely doesn't help. My my main thing against this zombie stack, I mean, I love it, but I I just see some holes. I don't see the point of running eight three mana lords and then running three diagraph colossus. It seems like it makes the deck freakishly slow, which I don't think is a thing you want to do in this meta. Then I see some cards that I just question. I don't get why there's four Lazutep Reaver. Like it's it makes it's two bodies. But the second, la I play Lazotep Reaver in my Zombies Rally list, and it's a very good card if you draw the first. If you have an army on field and you draw a Lazotep Reaver, it absolutely sucks. And there are some pretty good cards on this list that if you want a bit more of the recursion, because you're clearly trying to be a bit of a slower deck, there is not a single copy of Relentless Dead in the entire 75, which I find surprising. Uh, Diagraph Colossus, I feel like after playing with the Black-White Rally deck, where Diagraph Colossus is kind of its backup plan, that card not being a 4-off almost seems criminal. I don't see a Liliana, which means it's very vulnerable to sweepers, which is probably the main reason this deck's not picking up as much steam, because it is super vulnerable to sweepers, because its recursion is there, but weak. Like, Dread Wanderer's recursion and there's a one-off graveyard marshal that can potentially get you some man uh, get you some value to the point where I'm like, shouldn't there be like one or two Nykthos in this deck? Like maybe that can compensate for the lack of for like the intense black mana cost. But obviously that slows you down on turn one because you've got twelve one drops and there's already four Mudavolt to the deck. So maybe that's like a consideration that was made when building this deck. Runs for Thoughtseize, obviously. Yeah. My... You mentioned Rel Relentless Dead, and don't get me wrong. I love that card. I think it's a really awesome card. It's probably one of my favorite zombie cards. But the problem that you have with running all these three drops, these, you know, eight three mana lords and then three diagraph colossus and it being slow. Relent, re, eh, relentless dead does not solve that problem. 
it actually adds to it and just replaces oh, it. Uh, it would definitely like cut a lord. I don't think you can run eight three mana lords and then also put a relentless dead. Well, yeah, but even if you cut a lord and then you play the uh, relentless dead, you have to leave up mana, and that just that slows you down in a different way. True, that makes sense. This is just sort of more like a tap out and go deck. Yeah, and you don't want to leave any mana open. Obviously, Dark Salvation is an incredible card. Um, yeah. It's army in a can. But the problem I do see with it is it's the only removal spell in the main deck. There aren't, any, there aren't even copies of Murderous Rider in a not deck that even, is clearly not supposed yeah. to be... It's not even in the sideboard. Yeah, that's weird. Well, there's so, main zombies, so I guess they're really, really leaning towards hating green and white. So... Yeah, like, again, I like the deck. Yeah, like I just a, feel... I don't know, it's weird. I mean, it gives me the same vibes, which I actually like, as the Death Battle Warcry combo. Like, hey, this 5 out, this one actually twice, the deck is... Which was exactly the same 75, by the way. Where, I'm like, this deck is cool, I like what it's doing, I like the tribe, but I feel like there's definitely work to be done here. And that's actually pretty cool. What also helps is that Zombie is, I believe, also a fairly common creature type. So this mm -hmm. is definitely a deck that gains new cards faster than something like Merfolk, which tend to show up less, or Elves or Goblins, which tend to gain cards a little bit slower than Zombies does, also because Zombies is just super popular. So Liliana's not dead, so she's going to come back soon. She was even in the core set, but like she's going to... Well, that's a good example. The core set actually gave us multiple Zombies. And mm -hmm. it's a very common creature type to show up in core sets. So oh, yeah, this deck can... It takes like one set, and this deck could suddenly be way better. Well... <laughs> it is going to make me broke, by the way, because if I want to buy this, I'm going to have to have the Death Baron promos. Ouch. Those things are so, so gorgeous. But this is the problem that Zombies has, all right? You want good Zombies printed in uh, to the format, whether it's reprints or whether it's new cards. And the zombies we got in the core set are just kind of like, meh, whatever. Not that great. Um, and then, so you didn't get anything added there. But if we were to get a wonderful reprint into Pioneer, Gravecrawler. Like, something like, yeah, like Gravecrawler. Or if we were to get a new zombie that was just great, um, what makes a good a zombie a great card? I look at a card like Dread Wanderer. You know why Dread, Wan Dread Wanderer is a great card? It's a zombie, but it's not dependent on the tribe of being zombies, which is why you see that as a card and a staple in mono, uh, mono black aggro. The problem that I have with zombies is that if they reprint Grave Crawler, Grave Crawler into Pioneer, um, which I even think would be fine for standard, if I'm being honest, but that's a different conversation. You know what's going to happen? Not a zombie deck coming up in the meta being super prevalent. Mono Black Aggro just got better. That's it. You just you just animate your Muda Vault using itself, and then you play all your Grave Crawlers. Yeah, or they're but, already well, like, already running. What, what I thought was disappointing, there was actually a two mana zombie Lord Ishgard in M21. But it wasn't a zombie. It was a human it was, it was warlock. Human. And it was a no, it was a three mana. It was even worse. Because you know, the rule of thumb is you're not allowed to have a two mana ward if you're a zombie. He's a three mana. 
that he gets he gives plus one plus oh in uh, human warlock yeah he was also three mana oh yeah wow never mind i thought yeah. it was two mana nope so like yeah we just don't do two mana lords anymore except the merfolk one and then you're like, oh, cool, see if I can brew Merfolk and Pioneer. And then it turns out that your deck is literally excellent block constructed, plus like two random cards. Hey, Merfolk but, with Coco, I think, could could be a deck. Uh, and it no, was. It I was, really tried. No. It was in the very, very beginning of the format, in the old days. I mean, everything was a deck in the early part of the format. Yeah. The, er- yeah. the early part of the format was just this league every week, which, I mean, was cool. Um, What about... Uh, what's the one from Aether Revolt or is it Kaladesh? One of those, the Metallic Mimic. Does that have a home in Zombies? No, it's because you have to play it first. What's good about Lords generally, you play a bunch of zombies and then you decide like, hey, this is a good board state to drop a Lord on. Because like you have got like five zombies and you're like, oh, let's play a Lord and get five, five worth of power in one turn swing. Especially when your, your opponent's tapped out. Metallic Mimic has to be played first, which makes it terrible because it, it, it makes you overextend. It sort of baits you into bad play. Yeah. Ooh. But Hardened I can talk scales about this. Merfolk with Metallic Mimic. Eh. Yeah. Seems like it's too many moving I'm, parts. I'm going to brew it. I'm going to brew it. Um, you can make it Bant and put Conclave Mentor in, which is a good Coco hit. Maybe a deck that's more interesting also for Matt to talk about before we go on about mono black too long is a mono green deck because Matt told us we should all be playing mono green. But Ooh. this is actually, um, I mean, granted, it's technically five colored because there's one copy of Golos in, but it's a mono green actual ramp deck. There's there's one. So I'll, uh, I'll pull up the list quick. So it's mono green. So it plays mana dorks. Corsair of Crufix, Cavalier of Thorns, there's Nissa's Pilgrimage in the deck, there's World Breakers in the deck, very reminiscent of the mono-green, sometimes Simic deck we saw quite early on in the format that actually fairly tried to ramp into Big Eldrazi, but kind of just wasn't good enough because sometimes you didn't draw your Big Eldrazi and then you kind of just spun your wheels and didn't do anything. But this deck tries to add some spice because it runs... Golos as a one-off, and your Golos will pretty much always find you a Cascading Cataract, which is a card that effectively by spending six, because you need to tap it five and tap it itself, you get one of every color of mana. Which plus two, there you go. And therefore, ta-da, it gets your Golos going. Yep. Now, this deck obviously feels super janky. Because of I the have goals. so many questions. I have so many questions. Who is the list by? Uh, MC Hawk and Hawk is H O Q. My first question is where the hell is Nykthos? Seriously, you're running Cavalier of Thorns. I mean, I'm not sure if you've got enough to like, because there's no Burning Tree Emissary, you don't really have the explosiveness and there's no Nissa, so there's yeah you can ramp into Cavalier of Thorns, but it's pretty much the only you thing you're doing just, here. Just play a one of. You're playing a one of Cascading Carterax. Why don't why don't you just uh um, I mean do yes, a one of as well as Golos? I, I, I don't agree with the Golos being in at all. Like this feels like a random way to spin your cards. Like you spin your wheel. I mean it's kind of just feels like a fun of one off because it's this cool one two punch. But I think 
if you take this deck, you would probably instead of the Golos, I would just run a copy of Hour of Promise. Yeah, where's Hour of Promise? Go, my second you question. Go Hour of Promise, find two Shrine of the Forsaken God, next turn land Ulamog or Kozilek. Because Kozilek's also in this deck, because why not? Which is a super cool card, by the way. Which is definitely the it's obviously the least played Eldrazi Titan, and probably for a good reason, because it has two colorless in its mana cost, which can be clunky. But it is super cool. And it draws you up to a fresh seven, and then you can start playing mono green control because you can start countering spells. And there's obviously the Ugin. There's Maze Mind Tome. It's just it's just a, a cool deck. I think it's probably not good enough for the reason we discussed last week when we were talking about hey, why shouldn't I why should I play mono green devotion over mono green ramp? Where this deck I think perfectly showcases it. Mono green is just more explosive and it plays to the board a bit quicker. Whereas this needs to be like, oh, let me take off turn three to play a Cavalier on turn five. And your opponent's like, yeah, but I'm swinging you with Winoda and you're dead. It's just, I want I want Eldrazi to have a home in Pioneer. I think they're all great. I think they're really cool. And uh, it's just, yeah, this this list is just so close, I feel like. So, so close, close yet so janky because of the Golos, which makes it feel Yeah, the, the two weird. of Cultivate feel <laughs> weird. It's like, just play four or none. I mean, you have Nissa's Pilgrimage, which is fine. Uh, Maze Mind Tome is definitely an underrated card. It's fine in the deck, but it just seems almost oddly out of place. This This, this feels like the wrong card in the deck, right? I mean, you kind of just want something to do with excess mana, I guess. Yeah, but if you want a mana dump, just play something else, right? Like, it just, I don't know. It just, I feel like there's got to be a better card. Because, like, you're not going to play, play this on turn two to start digging, are you? Because you're playing four elves. You're trying to get into, like, a turn two, like, maybe Crucifix to try and burn through your deck. Why not just play four Crucifix instead of Maze Mind Tome? I mean, uh, or just... I don't know. It just feels it like there's other directions. An extra Ulamog and an Emrakul on the sideboard, which is like, when do you get these in? I guess yeah, there's no, there's no it's going to go super board. long. So, like, this kind of just boils down to the point, like, I feel like a broken record that I've been keep, kept saying with these decks, which does make them interesting, where it's like, this is a concept that at 5 it, it it works. Right? I mean, if you want to 5-0 with a deck, yes, you can run your head against the wall 15 times, but your deck has to be somewhat functional to 5-0, right? So there is potential in this deck, and I hope more people are going to take a spin at this, because I feel like if I look at this deck, like, hey, you could probably build this better or a bit differently, and then you might actually have a pretty cool deck on your hands. No Thought Knots here. Why? You have no interaction? I mean, I don't know. Not even the board. I'm just confused. I'm confused. I'm hurt by this list. It, this list brought me so much joy when I first looked at it, but now that I'm looking at it over and over again, it's just hurting me. So, Matt, you've got any hot takes on if this person is doing the right thing by only playing green cards? I love this list. It's not great, and I think you guys kind of explained exactly why it's not great, but I love it. It's so fun. This is a this is like my kind of list. For people who know me, you know I like to play the jank. Not very good, but just play games with your opponent kind of list. And this is just exactly that. 
I see like I see Brad like like obviously you people can't see it, but he's just like head in his hands, like what why why this list? I'm so confused. Look, I have one thing to say about this list and uh, we can bleep it out, but like what the fuck? I don't get it. I don't get it. There's so many things missing. It's just why? For the record, people, Brad does the editing. If he wants to like say any swear words, it's his job to bleep it out. So it's just more work for him. So uh, it's worth it because like I don't get it. I just like there's I mean, better got... cards than Return to Nature, right? If yeah. you really want to hate out artifacts, enchantments, and I, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe I'm overthinking it. It's just I mean, that's great. to it. Yeah, it almost it almost gets this like trade binder tribal feeling. It I does. Where you're like, I don't know, I had a return to nature, it looks cool. I'm gonna put it. Oh, I pulled a lot of face my toes. It looks like this person played Eldrazi when they were all together mm-hmm. in their respective standard. Because I see spatial contortion and warping wall on the side, and they're like, Yeah, yeah. I have them. Throw them in the board. It's just I mean I mean you look at like the Jeskai Luca list and they're almost effectively standard decks. So maybe this person was like, Yeah, I could just Get my old standard deck. Yeah, but th- th- there's a difference between playing a standard deck from the year 2019 or 2020 versus playing a standard deck from the year, what, 2015, 2016? Uh, I like it. I, have I to... like it. but and I, just... and I still like it. I, d- I don't get the the Brad feelings. I have okay. to say, the thing that really pulls this deck into, like, top tier for me is the fact that they're running Ugin and they don't run any other planeswalkers. They don't run any of the good mono green planeswalkers. They just run Ugin. I Ugin is it. a mono green planeswalker. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, well, yes. I, I can't like, disagree with Brad. There. It's a mono green planeswalker. Well, yes, but they're not running Nissa. They're not running Vivian. They're not running Carnage. Oh, yep. Ugin. Ugin is good enough to win this game on his own, which is I true. I have a lot of mana. What about because- small Ugin? Well, not small Ugin, but like War of the Spark, smaller like, Ugin. Smaller Ugin. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. I've been trying unsuccessfully for longer than I'd care to admit to try to make Ugin work in the actual mono green planeswalkers. And there's just, it, I know it would be good, but there's just nowhere to cut anything. You do, you have to run a 64 card shell, which is. Are, not are you referring to Daddy Ugin that we're seeing in this list or Baby yeah, Ugin from War of the Spark? Because. I'm no, focused on Baby Ugin trying to get out some uh, some some Eldrazi. No, monster. no, Ugin the Spirit Dragon, the the M21. I think he was in a set before M21, but yes, yeah, he was a, in a Fate Reforged. Yeah, yeah, the this Fate was a forty dollar card before or yeah. fifty or whatever. The Fate Reforged Ugin the Spirit Dragon that just oh, sixty. Oh God, that just wins the game immediately. I can't tell you, not in Pioneer. Actually, also in Pioneer, but just in any format, there are a lot of people who you put, you play in Ugin, and they just go to game two or go to game three. They're done. <laughs> so, I love the fact that Ugin is in this list. I love this list. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this list just to play it. You know, this list makes Please, me think I, of this. I, I want to watch you play this deck against Brad. And Brad just lose his mind. Like, please change some more cards from some <laughs> random stuff in your trade binder and just watch Brad lose it. If there's a lesson to be learned from this list, and nothing against MC Hawk, I love you. Please, if you ever listen to this, reach out to me. I'd love to go over this deck and try to brew something more to than uh, more with this. However, 
the lesson to be learned is that we need two types of cards more prevalent in Pioneer. The first is Eldrazi, and the second is the Cavaliers from M20. Because I love Cavalier of Thorns so much. I love the black one. Uh, what was Cavalier that? of Night? Yeah. Um, the red one, why is that not in the in the fires list? We go back to the standard fires. You want to play standard because, fires? Bring them because in. Because you can't look into Agent of Treachery if there's a random dude on a horse in your deck. I want a horribly misguided and misfocused plan B that completely contradicts your plan A. That's what I love about magic. That's why I love that stupid Jeskai fires, or not Jeskai fires, Jeskai uh, Winota list. Um, but to not go on for too long, because this podcast's already going on for a very long time, I think. And there's another deck that I uh, would like to talk about, which I don't know if you guys played in a standard format. I think we're going back to like 2018. It's the first and only time I ended up playing in a GP. And the popular deck at the time was a mono blue paradoxical outcome deck. And no, we weren't playing vintage or legacy. Have you guys seen this deck? Because it is amazing. It's by Seven Prophet, Prophet, and it's such a great throwback to that deck. Let me see here. Just it's, so what it relies on. Oh, I love is, it already. Um, it's it's bad, Kethis. I mean, this deck five would and Kethis like your new Kethis brew didn't. So no, no, no. Okay, it, no, no. Like, when I say like bad, Kethis. Do you it's do you have like... bad Kethis, or is this, or is your deck just? Like bad psy combo. Hey, I have. We'll get into that in a second because I've I've solved solved that deck. I haven't I haven't tested it at all but, with the new list. But so I've solved so it. What this deck tries to do. So you try and stick. Um, it's called a spot inspiring statuary, which is a three mana artifact that says non artifact spells you control have improvise, which is sort of like artifact convoke. You can tap an artifact to pay for one mana, one colorless mana for a card that isn't an artifact. And you play a lot of cards like Mox Amber, Tormod's Crypt, Springleaf Drum, like either cards that cost zero, or you can make them mana neutral, Ornithopter, and with Psy, and you have all these Thopters out. And then you, um, obviously, with Mox Amber, you can start generating mana. And then you Paradoxical Outcome, bounce everything back to your hand, all your zero mana and mana neutral cards, do it again, and just go through, like, make 100 Thopters, go through a large part of your deck, and then win with Aetherflux Reservoir. It's effectively the, at the time standard, now pioneer port of a Legacy or Vintage deck. And it is so hard to play. Like, at the time when it was in standard, people were like, oh, this is the best deck, let's pick it up. The amount of people that I have seen losing their minds playing this deck is, I can't even count. Like, everybody was how Brad was just looking at that green deck. It's like, <laughs> what am I doing? Why is Ornithopter in my deck? Like, why am I here? Why are any of us here, Alex? <laughs> it's to play this deck, clearly. Because, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I love this deck. Uh, this feeds part of my Kethis craving now that I've watched him die and uh, yeah, it, it gives me vibes like that. I would love to play this deck. It's seen, I, I just, yeah I just love 
dumb, convoluted, complicated decks that have ridiculous payoffs. So I just got a message saying like, hey, you guys are reporting a podcast and you're already three over three hours. So I would love to talk about many more of these like um, janky decks. Please do yourself a favor. Look through the league results of this week and last week. There is so much good stuff in there. Uh, I've seen Song of Creation, Jeskai Ascendancy. There's another humans deck in there. Um, what else does I see? Someone's playing Chonky Red again. I think it's Thomor, who just has 5 out with it twice. There is a Notion Thief, Narset, Days Undoing. Lock you out of playing the game by like getting rid of your entire hand and now I'm drawing 14 style of deck. Like, go look at this. Do, do yourself a favor and look at these lists. They are amazing. Yeah, these lists are great. I love Jank. And um, this is what we wanted for Pioneer, right? We wanted to see these lists. We wanted to see things like this. We talked about this in the second episode. It's like, I want to look at a list and have my jaw drop and just be like, holy crap, <laughs> they're playing this. And yeah, it, it just makes me happy. It gives me life. And uh, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to probably end on, I guess. We wanted to talk about two more things, but one is definitely one you can read for yourself. There was a 2020 review article posted by Mark Rosewater, which went over some of the like design lessons they've learned from 2020. Now, we wanted to go over this, but we're probably just going to parrot a lot of what Mark had to say. It's a very well-written article. It's sort of a very open and honest article. I always... Love the stuff that Mark writes. And I would encourage anyone to read it. They've gone over some of the mistakes they made, some of the lessons they've learned. And also going through most of it, all I could say is like, yeah, I agree. Because they have the numbers. It's like, hey, this mechanic was well received. I only know like 50 people playing Magic if I reach out. They have the data of literally everybody who filled in a survey. Yeah. So go and read that article. And yeah, and we wanted to talk about the uh, tournament, obviously. And uh, what we can do is we have to wrap it up now. And we appreciate all of you for listening. And uh, we're, we're happy to do this cast. If you want to hear about our tournament results, I'm going to have a link down in the description. We'll have a little bonus episode talking about what we experienced in our wonderful MTG at Home Discord server in our local meta. And uh, spoiler alert, I played both Matt and Alex in this tournament. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. So we'll go over that. And if, you, like I said, if you want to hear us ramble about some dumb meta stuff, go and click the link. But uh, yeah, thanks guys for listening. And we will see you next week. Bye. See ya.